Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. So it's 2006. My friend Harold Ford calls me. He's running for U.S. Senate in Tennessee. And he says, Melody, I desperately need some national press. Do you have any ideas? So I had an idea. I called a friend who was in New York at one of the most successful media companies in the world. And she said, why don't we host an editorial board lunch for Harold? You come with him. Harold and I arrive in New York. We are in our best suits. We look like shiny new pennies. And we get to the receptionist and we say, we're here for the lunch. She motions for us to follow her. We walk through a series of corridors. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a stark room, at which point she looks at us and she says, where are your uniforms? (laughs) Just as this happens, my friend rushes in. The blood drains from her face. There are literally no words, right? And I look at her and I say, now. Don't you think we need more than one black person in the U.S. Senate? Now, Harold and I, we still laugh about that story. And in many ways, the moment caught me off guard. But deep, deep down inside, I actually wasn't surprised. And I wasn't surprised because of something my mother taught me about 30 years before. You see, my mother was ruthlessly realistic. I remember one day coming home from a birthday party where I was the only black kid invited. And instead of asking me the normal motherly questions like, did you have fun or how was the cake? My mother looked at me and she said, how did they treat you? I was seven. I did not understand. I mean, why would anyone treat me differently? But she knew. And she looked me right in the eye and she said, they will not always treat you well. Now, race is one of those topics in America that makes people extraordinarily uncomfortable. 
You bring it up at a dinner party or in a workplace environment, it is literally the conversational equivalent of touching the third rail. There is shock followed by a long silence. And even coming here today, I told some friends and colleagues that I plan to talk about race, and they warned me. They told me, don't do it. There'd be huge risks in me talking about this topic. That people might think I'm a militant black woman and I would ruin my career. And I have to tell you, I actually, for a moment, was a bit afraid. Then I realized the first step to solving any problem is to not hide from it. And the first step to any form of action is awareness. And so I decided to actually talk about race. And I decided that if I came here and shared with you some of my experiences, that maybe we could all be a little less anxious and a little more bold in our conversations about race. Now, I know there are people out there who will say that the election of Barack Obama meant that it was the end of racial discrimination for all eternity, right? But I work in the investment business, and we have a saying, the numbers do not lie. And here, there are significant, quantifiable racial disparities that cannot be ignored in household wealth, household income, job opportunities, health care. One example from corporate America. Even though white men make up just 30% of the U.S. population, they hold 70% of all corporate board seats. Of this Fortune 250, there are only seven CEOs that are minorities. And of the thousands of publicly traded companies today, thousands, only two are chaired by black women. And you're looking at one of them, the same one who not too long ago was nearly mistaken for kitchen help. So that is a fact. Now, I have this thought experience that I play with myself, experiment. When I say, imagine if I walked you into a room and it was of a major corporation like ExxonMobil, and every single person around the boardroom were black, you would think that were weird. But if I walked you into a Fortune 500 company, and every around the table is a white male, when will it be that we think that's weird too? And I know how we got here. I know how we got here. You know, there was institutionalized and one time legalized discrimination in our country. There's no question about it. But I still, as I sort of grapple with this issue, my mother's question hangs in the air for me. How did they treat you? No, I do not raise this issue to complain or in any way elicit any kind of sympathy. I have succeeded in my life beyond my wildest expectations. And I've been treated well by people of all races more often than have, I have not. I tell the uniform story because it happened. I cite those statistics around corporate board diversity because they are real. And I stand here today talking about this issue of racial discrimination because I believe it threatens to rob another generation of all the opportunities that all of us want for all of our children, no matter what their color or where they come from. And I think it also threatens to hold back businesses. You see, researchers have coined this term color blindness to describe a learned behavior where we pretend that we don't notice race. If you happen to be surrounded by a bunch of people who look like you, that's purely accidental. Now, color blindness, in my view, doesn't mean that there's no racial discrimination and there's fairness. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't ensure it. In my view, colorblindness is very dangerous because it means we're ignoring the problem. 
There was a corporate study that said that instead of avoiding race, the really smart corporations actually deal with it head on. They actually recognize that embracing diversity means recognizing all races, including the majority one. But I'll be the first one to tell you, this subject matter can be hard, awkward, uncomfortable, but that's kind of the point. In the spirit of debunking racial stereotypes, the one that black people don't like to swim, I'm going to tell you how much I love to swim. I love to swim so much that as an adult, I swim with a coach. And one day my coach had me do a drill where I had to swim to one end of a 25-meter pool without taking a breath. And every single time I failed, I had to start over. And I failed a lot. By the end, I got it, but I got out of the pool. I was exasperated and tired and annoyed. And I said, why are we doing breath-holding exercises? And my coach looked at me and he said, Melody, that was not a breath-holding exercise. That drill was to make you comfortable being uncomfortable because that's how most of us spend our days. If we can learn to deal with our discomfort and just relax into it, we'll have a better life. So I think it's time for us to be comfortable with the uncomfortable conversation about race. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, all of us. If we truly believe in equal rights and equal opportunity in America, I think we have to have real conversations about this issue. We cannot afford to be colorblind. We have to be color brave. We have to be willing as teachers and parents and entrepreneurs and scientists, we have to be willing to have proactive conversations about race with honesty and understanding and courage. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the smart thing to do. Because our businesses and our products and our science, our research, all of that will be better with greater diversity. Now, my favorite example of color bravery is a guy named John Skipper. He runs ESPN. He's a North Carolina native, quintessential Southern gentleman, white. He joined ESPN, which already had a culture of inclusion and diversity, but he took it up a notch. He demanded that every open position have a diverse slate of candidates. Now, he says the senior people in the beginning bristled, and they would come to him and say, do you want me to hire the minority, or do you want me to hire the best person for the job? And Skipper says his answers were always, always the same, yes. And by saying yes to diversity, I honestly believe that ESPN is the most valuable cable franchise in the world. I think that's a part of the secret sauce. Now, I can tell you in my own industry, at Aerial Investments, we actually view our diversity as a competitive advantage. And that advantage can extend way beyond business. There's a guy named Scott Page at the University of Michigan. He's the first person to develop a mathematical calculation for diversity. He says if you're trying to solve a really hard problem, really hard, that you should have a diverse group of people, including those with diverse intellects. The example that he gives is the smallpox epidemic. When it was ravaging Europe, they brought together all these scientists and they were stumped. And the beginnings of the cure to the disease came from the most unlikely source, a dairy farmer. A dairy farmer who noticed that the milkmaids were not getting smallpox. And the smallpox vaccination is bovine-based because of that dairy farmer. Now, I sit, I'm sure you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't run a cable company. I don't run an investment firm. I am not a dairy farmer. What can I do? 
And I'm telling you, you can be color brave. If you're a part of a hiring process or an admissions process, you can be color brave. If you are trying to solve a really hard problem, you can speak up and be color brave. Now, I know people will say, but that doesn't add up to a lot. But I'm actually asking you to do something really simple. Observe your environment at work, at school, at home. I'm asking you to look at the people around you purposefully and intentionally. Invite people into your life who don't look like you, don't think like you, don't act like you, don't come from where you come from. And you might find that they will challenge your assumptions and make you grow as a person. You might get powerful new insights from these individuals. Or, like my husband who happens to be white, you might learn that black people, men, women, children, we use body lotion every single day. Now, context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, October 20th, 2016. So I have been told this is our weekly broadcast on workplace racism. Uh, this is for victims of racism. Uh, to dial in with any observations, uh, problems, triumphs, if you have figured out some strategies that work well for minimizing conflict with other white coworkers, non-white coworkers, uh, if you have figured out some things that neutralize racist activity uh, to solve problems, if you have a black supervisor that is really plucking your nerves, but you have figured out some things to solve that problem, Dial in. The number is 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Uh, and I just want to emphasize uh, for this program, this is not a spectator broadcast uh, I generally, uh, for the program, am not, you know, going and begging for people to, to call in and talk to me. That's generally not the way that we operate. But for this program, I do want to make sure uh, that we are encouraging folks. Uh, I think it is uh, helpful. If folks do not agree, certainly you should you could be doing other things with your time and energy. But I think it's very constructive uh, to be able to hear different ways uh, that racists function on the job, uh, different things that they do, just so that we can observe patterns, things to be on the lookout for, and hopefully develop some counter strategies uh, to neutralize those activities. I think it's very helpful uh, for people to hear that it's not you, that you, this is not some isolated thing, there's nothing uh, defective about you or your performance on the job, most likely. What's happening is that white supremacy racism is being practiced against you. And I think that, that just having that corroboration uh, from other victims of racism, uh, where they have gone through the same thing. I state again, we have some people that are a little bit younger, so they don't have an extensive uh, work, his uh, work history. I think it's helpful for them to be able to hear from folks uh, who have a little bit more expertise on the job uh, so they can know the types of things uh, that you want to be mindful for. Uh, I think, uh, at least my opinion, uh, anytime that you have more information uh, about what is likely to happen in your environment, I think that puts you in a much better position in terms of your ability to function 
uh, and to strategize in advance uh, about things you might need to do. So definitely encourage folks uh, to chime in. Uh, and I'll even throw out also, uh, if you would be interested in doing any sort of role play so that you can get practice about what you want to say on a job, uh, I'd be down to do that as well. We've done that before and even had some rekindled interest. So if you want to practice what you say, uh, if you are being subjected to unwanted touching, uh, we could do that as well. Just let us know, putting that out as a suggestion also. But the number again, 641-715-3640, and the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Uh, really quickly, the audio clip that we heard at the beginning I think it's been said a few times over the years. It can be constructive to hear the episodes of the cows uh, sequentially, uh, hearing them in the actual order that they were produced. Uh, our guest on yesterday's broadcast, uh, Miss Allison Manswell, uh, we discussed her book, Listen In, which is about uh, racism on the job. She was with us yesterday, and within her book, she mentions quite a few, even though her book is written in a fiction format, she mentions like quite a few real people uh, who have works about racism and or diversity. One of the people that was mentioned uh, was the audio segment you heard at the beginning. Uh, that was Melody Hobson. Melody Hobson. Uh, this is a uh, black female. She's one of the few black females who is... Uh, the head of a Fortune 500 company, uh, but she did a TED Talk. It's called Color Brave. Uh, you heard most of it at the beginning of the program today. I thought it was uh, telling that she uh, acknowledged being in a tragic arrangement, uh, having a white husband uh, near the end uh, of her talk. But uh, yeah, I thought that was I thought that was interesting because that was mentioned in. Uh, Miss Manswell's book and the anecdote she started at the beginning about going to the luncheon that she helped plan. And when she got there, some white woman just assumed that she was the help. So they, you know, were taking her uh, and Harold Ford just were going to take them to the kitchen. That's what niggas do. Uh, the interesting thing is that Harold Ford in that campaign, he did get a lot of attention, uh, but not for the reasons he would like. They uh, his white opponent ran an ad that was talking about uh, basically saying he didn't have the character. He was running for an elected office, so they were saying he didn't have the character, the morals to be elected, that he had uh, taken money uh, illicitly, and that he was involved with a prostitute. And so they have a white uh, prostitute at the end of this commercial, uh, an ad against him, uh, saying, call me Harold. And this caused a big to-do, you know, the whole black male, white woman thing and any sort of suggestion of sexual activity. It caused a big to do lots of controversy. People still point to that uh, commercial when they talk about racism and politics and what they call dog whistle politics. But Mr. Harold Ford, who she mentioned in that anecdote, did get a lot of attention uh, dealing with racism. Uh, anyway, a few anecdotes uh, I will share. Before we get started, again, people can uh, feel free to email my email address untiljustice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com. Feel free to drop an email. 
uh, if you are not able to participate live via phone and I can read whatever your situation is and folks can respond or give you feedback uh, through, uh, during the broadcast, uh, we can do it anonymously so can allay some of your fears. But until justice at gmail.com. Uh, folks who wrote in, first up, uh, so there was a female caller last week who shared that she was having difficulty with a job because of a failed drug test. Her situation had me thinking, uh, it's been my observation that many jobs that are difficult for black people to get into do not conduct drug testing. The education field, which I am a part of, would be an example. You would think that teaching could be a field, if any, that would conduct drug tests. But when the majority of teachers are white, white female at that, specifically white females, I suppose that goes out the window. During the course of my last job, many teachers talked openly about using various drugs and some even came to work high regularly, including the principal, who was also white. He would even reek of marijuana at times. On Fridays, a group of white teachers would use their lunch break as a smoke break and come back to school high. Personally, I have concluded that drug testing is a method used to keep many black people away from jobs that can be gained without a degree or certifications. Good point, uh, particularly to keep in mind if that continues or is changed as the cannabis laws, drug laws are adjusted. Next commentary, a uh, person wrote in. Uh, so this is the pool builder in Arizona, probably the only black pool builder in Arizona uh, so you could just say contractor. Anyways, I run across racism all the time. I mean, it's everywhere at all times. But I had an incident last week where I was at a customer's house doing some work. He happened to be from Seattle. How about that? Said he worked for a big garbage company up there. Told me stories of him being at the restaurant when the Starbucks deal was struck by some Jew. And as he said, ha. Anyways, he's telling me all these stories. He then calls himself a nigger, and I'm like, what? He's a white guy, by the way. I was totally codified and didn't react much to it. Just sort of chuckled. Most customers and most white people don't see me as black, but see me as either Mexican, Puerto Rican, Hawaiian, or whatever. He then calls President Obama a half-breed motherfucker. I had to chuckle at this one. This guy was blatant with his words and didn't hold back at all like most white people do, which was more refreshing, I guess, than the typical secretive racism. My training by training myself and being codified has been being codified has helped me a lot. Back in the day, I wouldn't I would have went at it with him and there would have been conflict. I was one of the people who nearly fuller said he's never seen that wouldn't back down to white people no matter where I was, and they would usually back down to me, but there would always be conflict everywhere I went. Well, now I avoid it and try to minimize it as best I can because it's always there. I worked at this guy's house for about four days last week, and each day he uttered the word nigger. I asked him about Seattle, never been there myself, and I had heard of this burger joint called Dick's. I've been there uh, from the Sir Mix-A-Lot song. He then tells me the story of when he was in high school and how they used to hang out at Dick's and there would be a lot of black people there. He went to Seattle Prep. I'm sure a mostly white school, aren't they all? He said that one of his buddies would walk up in front of all the black people and he would order a nigger burger 
from the cashier. He thought this was the funniest thing. I thought it was really sad. This was one guy who didn't hold back on his racism. He even told me good. He even told me good boy a few times after I completed something and I'm 41. Now, this guy has paid me, given me Cuban cigars, brought out Pepsis for me and damn near ordered me his wife offered. Excuse me. Damn near offered me his wife cowbell. Some white people act really different when you're in their homes and they start to feel a little comfortable with you. Then when I was getting into my truck to leave on the first day, he proceeded to almost get into my truck. He opened up the passenger door as I was driving off and he had to tell me a few more things. He started rubbing the seats like white people do and then said my truck was respectable looking, whatever that means. Hmm. Moving forward. Uh, next person that wrote in. Okay, this is one of our numerous callers uh, down in the North Florida area. Uh, retail pharmacist. Uh, my, my current employer is a Florida-based grocery chain. I really wanted to call and share, but I know I won't have access to a phone while you are broadcasting. I will attempt to be as concise as possible, but I will need to put some things in perspective. My experience with racist suspect coworker is as follows. Monday, two days ago, uh, I received a phone call from the coworker, a white female that I will call KM. The store KM works is 1.6 miles from the store I am assigned to. Though we haven't met each other personally, it is extremely unlikely that we are not aware of each other's racial classification as we have spoken often on the telephone. She was calling to do a stock check for a prescription that was called in from a doctor's office. She told me that she checking my stock for the customer because our stores are so close and that she didn't have it in stock. I checked and in fact, we did have it. She called at the end of rush hour about 90 minutes before 8 p.m. closing. This time of day can be somewhat hectic. The technicians are normally gone and there are customers to check out. This time of day, we are forced to multitask, answer phones, fill prescriptions, and ring up customers. The drug KM was checking on was control, controlled drug categorized as C5 by the Drug Enforcement Agency. To keep perspective, all controlled drugs have potential for abuse misuse, but C5 is the lowest level. Drugs such as heroin, ecstasy, etc. are C1 and can't be legally sold. C2, such as hydrocodone, Percocet and the various amphetamines are tightly controlled. The point I'm making is that though the cough syrup she was checking on is something that can be abused, misused, the amount prescribed did not fit the profile of misuse. Earlier, I mentioned the check was during the end of rush hour. Since I had the drug and the customer's representative agreed to it, KM said she could give me the prescription. She didn't want to enter the prescription in the computer as she was too busy. Rather, she would fax it. She faxes the prescription just as the nurse called it in. I'm still rather busy. And about 15 minutes later, the patient's representative, a non-white friend, arrives. From here, I think it best to just give the fax. One, 
About five minutes after faxing, she calls to say she was uneasy about the filling prescription. I'm certain the patient's friend had left KM's store on the way to my store. Number two, she faxed the prescription just as she transcribed it. The first name was misspelled. The last name was not written in its uh, hyphenated form. This is relevant because my employer does not have the latest dispensing software. That omission makes it almost impossible to locate an existing patient. Number three, the date of birth was incorrect. Wrong date, though month and year were correct. This does not happen often, but this can happen with phoned-in prescriptions. It is common practice to correct incorrect information or call the doctor back if you are truly unsure. A missing or incorrect date of birth further complicates locating the patient. Number four, after the non-white patient's representative arrived, it took me about 20 minutes to finally locate the patient in the computer system. The patient's friend did not have the patient's insurance card, but was certain the patient had filled prescriptions with my employer. The 20 minutes consisted of the patient's friend sick with the flu without that information. It's possible it's impossible to bill the insurance company. I initially had to fill the prescription as cash for $16. After locating and updating the patient information in my store's local database, I rebuild the prescription. The patient only had a $2 copay. I also noticed that the patient normally fills at KM's store. It seems unlikely that KM didn't know who the patient was. There was no reason for her not to enter the prescription in the computer. This would have been easier as I could have pulled the prescription from her system. If KM was truly too busy to enter it, she could have corrected the transcribed prescription that she had written before she faxed the prescription to me. Number five, though the patient did have several controlled medications on her profile, it truly paled in comparison to other profiles I've seen with chronic controlled drug misusers. Number six, Once the prescription was filled and sold, I decided to access our inventory check software. My employer does not have the most efficient computer systems, but there are ways to search other stores' inventories. Simply put, it's just so cumbersome most pharmacists just call. I accessed the program and searched for the drug that I just sold, sorting by distance from my store. No surprise, The closest store that had twice the prescribed amount was KM's store. I'm not sure which non-white the tackiness was directed towards, the patient, the patient's representative, or me. Probably all of us. Tacky, tacky, tacky. I was thinking all of them too. Uh, I had more other people wrote in, but I will sprinkle those in as we go. Feel free, again, email untiljustice at gmail.com if you would like to email in your commentary on workplace racism. Uh, that said, uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary you would like to share, feel free. Launch should be open. Can I be heard? 
I heard quite I'll a few wait. folks. I'll wait. Oh, okay. Oh, I, I was going to make it quick. Um, I do have my own incident. Uh, greetings to you, Gus. Uh, this is Ross. And to all the callers and the listeners, um, uh, yeah, I do have my own incident. I'll talk about it later. But I just wanted to chime in on the most recent um, uh, uh, email that you read. And working in the healthcare industry, I can agree with you absolutely. She, whoever this KM person is, is a racist white supremacist. I wouldn't even call her a suspect. Um, it looks like she wanted the patient to go out of their way, as well as the fact that she basically set up the um, the the black female at the other store in a way in which it would make her job much more complicated, like she explained. And working in the healthcare industry, um, it's funny because those things, simple things like a hyphen missing from a name, um, sometimes they'll put the wrong gender, and it not only messes up their ability to get prescriptions, I work on the end, the billing end. And insurance companies won't cover a claim if any information is incorrect. If the birthday is wrong, they're not going to cover it. If the gender is wrong, they're not going to cover it. If the name is misspelled, they're not going to cover it. So it creates even an issue down the road for that, for that um, black person whose prescription is being processed incorrectly. So, yeah, it, it definitely seems like a premeditated um, act of racism, white supremacy, where there was a lot of forethought um, in what was done, simply because, like the um, person said at the end, when she did the curiosity, said, let me take a look and see what the inventory was. And the, 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 the female who called, you know, had inventory twice the inventory she had at the other store. Um, and that's why even when I write about white women, I write female as in F-E-E-M-A-L-E, because anytime you deal with them, you're going to pay. And sometimes you can pay with your life. Other times you'll pay with this extra 20 minutes that was completely unnecessary. And um, with that, I'll mute my line for now. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, I'd like to share a few stories. Um, these were people that I've uh, worked with in the past. Uh, on one particular incident, there was a, a young black male that was uh, relatively new to our um, workplace. And he had the, uh, he was pretty, I guess you want to say charming. He liked to communicate with everyone um, all the time. Um, he was kind of looked at as a, a, a playful and he would he would uh have little uh incidents where i guess he would get into um minor trouble uh later on he ended up he, you know he got into a a bigger incident which um he was uh reprimanded for but um he was known to be charming and um you know a lot of the women from uh other workspaces would come to try to you know say hi to him or whatever but on one particular day, he was he was absent, and um, his name was brought up for some reason. I don't know exactly uh, what the reason was, but uh, I, I think maybe uh, someone was looking for him or something like that. And then there was a white male uh, who was uh, he was really in a, a higher position than this um, this black male, and they used to work together frequently, um, quite a bit. And um, this white male said, you know, that guy, he's just a good old farm boy. He's just a good old farm boy. And, um, you know, at the time, I was a lot more confused. And I didn't, I knew it struck me as something that was wrong. You know, he, he might as well have said, you know, he's a good old nigger or whatever. But 
Um, and I just recently looked that up, and it was a couple of uh, definitions. And I think two of the definitions was what this white uh, male intended for it for to uh, mean for this um, black black male. Uh, one of the definitions, this, this is, I guess, the urban dictionary, so to speak, and it says uh, farm boy, someone who lives on a farm that enjoys making love to the assorted animals on the farm. And then um, the first definition, um, the other definition I think that he was trying to say about this black male was um, unsophisticated or uneducated person, a simpleton. So uh, that was one example. Uh, another example was at another workplace, um, you know, we we're really into uh, getting into sports, um, you know, after work, we have sporting teams. And um, a lot of the white, white males who were in, you know, supervisory positions, you know, in a higher position than myself and uh, all the other black males that were on the um, job, they were practically begging all of us to come join this particular team. I'm not even going to name the sport. Um, no, actually, I'll just say it was a softball team. And um, a couple of the young um, black males did, you know, play on the team. And one of the other white guys would just keep begging me, come on, come on. Of course, they start um, really complimenting you because, you know, we we played sports before. And they say, oh, man, you guys are so athletic, man. You're so athletic. Please come out. Come on out. And I just never did. But uh, and one game, well, there was several games um, during the so-called season. And then the uh, I would sometimes the white males would uh, talk to me and say, man, you know, they would say this black male, man, he just can't do anything out there. He's just messing up. He's totally, um, he's, you know, terrible. He's trash. He can't play or whatever. And they're just totally trashing the, the black males. They say, okay, they'll make a good play here and there, but overall they're causing us the game or whatever. So, and then I would talk to the black males, of course, and they would tell me, totally the opposite that, you know, these white guys will blame them for stuff, but those guys couldn't make plays whatsoever. And um, they were just completely, and then I actually went out to watch a game. And as I thought, you know, these uh, white males couldn't play so well. And they were just kind of arguing with the uh, black males when they couldn't make, make the play and they would blame the, the black males for it. And then they were, uh, they were also make this other, white male i guess they assumed that you know since he was white he could play softball real good and um he ended up being you know just a horrible player basically um so and um my last example was actually um maybe i'll come back later in uh in the um broadcast thank you that's all i have right on right on I will uh, make sure I get in. I'm no advocate of the uh, extracurricular sporting activities, specifically if this is going to be, well, I'll say especially if it's going to be something where this is like a recurring thing, like we have a league with maybe some other uh, companies or some other sites within uh, our particular company or what have you. Forget that. Like, no, thanks. I don't care what it is. If it's basketball, softball, baseball, bowling, ping pong, I'm cool. <laughs> I got things to do or, you know, I'm helping my children. They're having a tough time with schoolwork. So I'm really having to ha uh, hunker down with them and make sure that we get through this. Whatever excuse you need. But I would not recommend that for a variety of reasons. Uh, other folks have uh, commentary. 
they wanted to share. Uh, everyone who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. No spectators, please. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, ma'am. You're a little low, but uh, if you could speak up a little bit, that would be helpful. Okay. Um, is this better? Yes, ma'am. All right. Awesome. Greetings, everybody. Um, I have just like a few notes. Um, to First, for the clip that we heard earlier, uh, and also for yesterday's show, I didn't comment, but I did listen. One of the things I've been kind of paying attention to is this, like, use of metaphysical spirituality or something like that as some reason to rise above racism. And, like, you know, the caller from last night or the speaker from last night um, she kept talking about energy and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not trying to say that that doesn't have a place or that that doesn't have any validity, but I don't think that it's necessarily useful or constructive or logical to use when talking about racism, she seemed very confused to me. Um, and then this woman that we just heard at the beginning of the clip kind of sounded the same way. And she had, she said something that made me think about the whole being special and in, in an effort to make sure that I am also translucent or um, like honest, you know, it is really easy to feel as though you're special or something about you is special that you somehow made it off of your own volition and not necessarily part of being constructed into the system functioning. Like we need you to be our um, face or our voice or something like that to go back to the niggers or to the niggers, as you say, um, you know, like that. And so for her, when she said, you know, I've, I've lived a great life and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then to try to tell other people that we really should talk about racism because she somehow thinks that it worked for her. I don't, that's not logical to me. And it just seemed to me that she, well, obviously she's confused because she's with a white man, but um, that it just screamed to me of uh, feeling special and thinking that, you know, there's something special about you. And I understand that personally too. I'm far less confused. So I know I'm just a puppet or being used as a puppet like anybody else on the plantation. Um, but I do understand like that thing. Um, just a few quick things. Uh, so today we had a meeting. Um, I'm the caller that's in the DC area. I live in Virginia, but I work in DC. And um, one, we have a new PM. I don't know if whoever's been listening to the story. There was a property manager. I worked two years with him, put in all this effort, all this other good stuff. And then he left and put in pretty much his frat best friend and one thing I've been noticing about this guy is he walks around with a golf stick. Like he literally walks around the office, like in this like slow calculating walk with a golf stick that he like twirls around. If that makes sense, if someone, someone could envision that. And I asked him, like I brought it up. I was like, so you just really love golf, huh? And he, you know, and then he, of course, whatever. But I was like, that was my way of saying you really like, he'll literally come by my desk, come out of his office. My desk is in the front. I sit in the front desk and be swinging this golf stick. I'm pretty sure that that's a well-seen moment, but it really makes me uncomfortable because he doesn't have anything to say or anything to do. And I'm just like, what is this? Like, would it be a whip if this was back in the day? Um, anywho, the another thing I've noticed is there's a lot of indirect talking either to or about me. Like no one will specifically ask me to do something, but they'll say something's not done. And then it'll be like this, like, 
glare or something. And I'm like, well, no one even, you know, because I do a lot of things that I'm not supposed to do, all in the hopes that I would be brought on to the company. And I pretty much just stopped doing that. Like, if it's not outlined in my contract, then I'm not really pressed about it. Like, screw all that. Um, but anywho, so, but in an effort to keep my job until I make my next step, I've been paying attention. I've been like speaking on it too, you know, like one was about not having sugar. I do order our supplies. I had no idea we got sugar. And so I ordered sugar, you know, like he came and he talked, uh, the, okay, let me be more coherent here. The assistant property manager came out of his office making a joke with a vendor who came in that had nothing to do with supplies or anything like that. And was like, all right, anything I can do for you? And he was like, well, if you could have some sugar in our office, you know, and it was like by my desk. And I was like, no one even told me we were out of sugar. I had no idea. I didn't go back there, whatever, you know. So a way for me to know that we needed sugar. And then another one um, was talking about how he couldn't find some particular invoice. But the way he's doing it is like, well, you should be finding this invoice for me. And I don't understand why not just ask me these things or let me know these things. But that's something that I've been noticing about, like the, the dynamic of my office, just in case other people may have noticed something similar in their office. Um, today we had a meeting. This meeting this was our first meeting with the new PM. Now these are like Southern, not I want to say Southern, but these are Virginia boys, everybody. We're all working in D.C., but living in, in from Virginia. And it was real funny because we sat at the, the desk, and he pretty much said this new PM was like, I don't care what you've done for the past few years and how hard you worked before. It's all new, and I don't know you. And they literally, so the, the assistant property manager, the property manager are white. The two engineers are, I think they're Ecuadorian, they're Hispanic. And then the security and the concierge myself are black. So if you can see the dynamic there. So we're all sitting there, not the security, but just me. I guess I represent the black folks. And, you know, he, he pretty much says that. And he even says that it's okay to yell. Like there's this whole tone about how these, the, the managers are talking and even the head engineer about how it's okay to yell at the people beneath them or like, like say that they're not doing stuff in and they're doing this, having this whole conversation amongst themselves and they keep cutting eyes at me. And that's, that also validated for me, like, I'm, a, or excuse me, what I'm thinking is not, I'm not crazy. They know what they're saying because they keep looking at me to see if I'm going to have a reaction because they're pretty much saying we can whip up on these people beneath us. We don't care what work they've done. We don't care. We, we're not interested. Look, you're replaceable. It's, it's whatever. You're contracted. Who cares about you? And we'll just get rid of you. I will say I wanted to be a little bit like the spook. So I got a hold of a contract and a, a template just so I could scan some. And I found out that race, like, well, hold on, they called it riots. Um, riots are actually written into the contracts with the property management company. So if you have a contract with this company, it's actually written in there what happens in case of a riot. And I just thought, well, that's like, you can't tell me that's not systematic. Like, that oppression is understood in a systematic way that even a contract for glass door replacement is calculated in there. Well, hey, if the black people start rebelling or we have something, whatever, you're still bound to this contract. I thought that was pretty, um, pretty fascinating, actually. And then a horror story, like just in case this might have happened to somebody else, um, didn't happen to me, but the new property manager told that there's this guy at his other building who didn't like this other property manager. And kept telling that there was a rat infestation. So he actually got a rat, killed the rat, put it in a box, 
and mailed it to this property manager. And I wanted to know if this property manager was non-white so bad, but I couldn't ask. And I was just wondering if it was going to come out, but it didn't. But that's just the, the, you know, just the creepy psychology of white people. And that was like normalized. He was able to do that. This white man over at the, um, the other building. There's also, so this white woman, I've been paying attention to these white women. I'm going to wrap it up real quick. I have more, but after this, I'll stop. And then if there's time, I'll come back in. So we have this white woman in this building who is a pain in the behind. And she is like, she would have been like a female overseer if we put it in a, well, hold on, no metaphors. Anyway, she's just, she's terrible. She's terrible to work with and all this stuff. Over time, I guess she got promoted or whatever. So she's a little like relaxed, but there's so much effort that we that's put on us as the team to appease this white woman, whatever she wants, she gets, she calls, you run up there, the engine. And then like, they're even, here's an engineer, his, his job, the Latino, his job is to fix stuff. If the air conditioning goes out, if the knobs don't work, if the flat, the lights are out, like whatever, he fixes stuff. His job is not necessarily like customer service. You know, if you ask him a question, he'll tell you, yeah, this is out. I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. But there's a whole lot of talk about how he has to adjust how he talks to her. And if he does not, they're actually fire him. Like he's liable to lose his job if he doesn't adjust how he talks to this white woman. And I just thought that was fascinating because the minute we were all sitting there having lunch, and I think it's just amazing how they do this. They've done it to me, which is when I was just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not, I knew what it was, but I, I, I got kind of stupid or silly or I forgot or I, whatever it is, but I'm, I'm hip now. You know, the minute he got up because he got called on the radio, he was on the table and the whole conversation was pretty much berating vendors, berating the engineers that are beneath, you know, them. And I'm pretty sure when I left and I'm not around, it's talking about whatever stuff I'm lacking or I'm not doing. And so I maintain that I have absolutely nothing, nothing to say to these white people at all if it has nothing to do with my job. Um, And all I do is just watch. And one of the like elements that I've added to my mask is like a sense of naivete. Like I just have no idea what's going on. And it's so, I don't know if it's really working, but like they'll look at me and I'll just look them dead in the eyes, but my eyes show like, I don't know, like what, you you know what I'm saying? Just because I don't need you looking at me every time you do something wrong. And I'm looking at you like, I know that's wrong. And then we have this tension between us. Like, no, I still know, but I don't need you to know that I know. So that's something, like I said, I don't know if it's working, but that's what I'm trying now. Thank you. And if there's time, I'll share some more. Wow. <laughs> that is a, that is a lot. Um, I did want to say number one, where you said they have it within the contract, how they, how they are going to respond to riots uh, and the impact uh, that that has on the contract or not. Uh, just to reiterate what I said before about uh, racists, they plan and rehearse for riots. We don't. That is another reason why we shouldn't participate in them. Anyway, uh, the Welsing moment that you picked out about him strolling this white guy, strolling the office with his golf club. Um, it could be a whip. Absolutely. Um, to me, I was thinking that's total phallic symbol. Um, I don't know if he is, uh, if he's coming out and loitering around your desk area um, just to check you out or whatever the case. But I mean, long history of white men and white women uh, raping, sexually molesting black people, males, females, children. So that's kind of what I was thinking, uh, that that might be what's going through his mind that, you know, I could 
show this uh, nigger winch here, you know, what time it is. Um, there were a few other interesting tidbits within that as well. I'll pause in case other folks had uh, questions or comments that they wanted to respond to. Have you, I guess I'll ask that question really quick of you. Have you got any sense of any sort of this white man is, you know, checking me out in a, in a sexual kind of manner? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, yeah, I have. I'm not, I put on a facade of naivety, but I'm not naive. I've watched and um, there are many, like there are times that I have to really maneuver carefully because they'll physically place themselves in like in my path or in my way. Like if we all have to walk upstairs, I'll be like, no, y'all go ahead. Otherwise they want me to walk up so that they can walk up behind me or like, and you know, because I can, I don't know how effective it is, but when I can make my eyes kind of glassy and it's like, like I'm just staring there, like, what is she thinking? You can't know. Like I watch their glitchiness, like their, um, their glitchiness when they're, when their mask breaks and you see like, the jaw clench or the, their eyes move or what they're looking at or some of the things they said. And I'm a woman, like I totally know, you know what I mean? Um, and I thought that too. I just, it's, it's unsettling and it's disturbing because I'm the, I'm the one that works in the basement with the two white guys. So, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's there. I know that's there to answer your question. Stay safe, man. Stay safe. Stay alert. Um, if if other folks, uh, if you had questions on what you have heard thus far, or if you had your own incident you wanted to share, uh, feel free. Can I yes, ma'am. We can yes, hear you. Hello. Um, this is Jay from Ohio. I'm sorry. I got a little bit of a sore throat. Um, but I, I had actually been following along with you as far as, um, with the reading of, uh, the book who sat by the door. And I feel like it definitely has been very beneficial to me to help me be more codified. And I actually took a, a page out of Freeman's book as far as kind of, um, complimenting my supervisor, or making it seem as if, you know, a suggestion that he provided me. or something that he told me was just a really amazing idea um, and is basically something that I've already been doing for the past few months. So I I definitely am appreciative for that, and and also I am definitely appreciative for all the callers who have provided the good feedback because it definitely is helping me. Um, The main thing that I feel like I'm still struggling with is to distance myself from my quote-unquote white friends that I had in the past um, because, uh, like, I'm the one who actually had the issue with the white female constantly touching my chest. So it's kind of like I don't, I know that it's, I know that you're really supposed to go into a job codified, but I'm just kind of struggling with now that I, I have the knowledge, now that I know what I know now is like, how can I go on from here? And that's all I have. I'll, I'll meet myself. Yes, may I be heard? Yes, sir. All right. Greetings, guests, and to the rest of the callers. So um, Halloween is coming up, and um, 
so a couple of people, mainly white, were having a discussion about what they're going to do. And I heard there was going to be like a Halloween party a few days before. And, um, you know, one of them said they're going to dress up as a clown or something. And um, I didn't I didn't say anything because I didn't want to be a part of that mess. But um, one of them also said they were going to be Harambe. And I, I, was, I found that kind of significant because it's just... You might. I don't know why you would. Why you couldn't just say you were. You could be a, an animal for Halloween, but you just have to be a specific name, and it just really got to me how life works. So they went on to ask me, and I just said, I don't. I don't even know if I'm gonna participate for Halloween. I might not even dress up or anything. So they all got kind of confused and was like, Well, why not? What? What's? What do you have against Halloween? And I just left because I didn't feel like being a part of that but they just asked me a question i just answered it so but yeah i don't really celebrate halloween just because of the beliefs and beliefs and stuff what goes on throughout the year and it's just probably one of the worst worst days of the year and it's just yeah that's i don't participate in halloween but um yeah that's all i have to share thank you for taking my call if someone were to ask you, like, uh, you know, hey, what's 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 incorrect about these, you know, young young teenage students uh, wanting to dress up like Harambe? They've had all these memes and everything, and people have been talking about it and trying to have some fun with the tragic situation. What's what's incorrect about that? What would your response be? My response would be that it's just very irrelevant. Nobody else would have dressed. Well, last year nobody would have said to dress up as Harambe and. They're taking on a symbol of grabbing a black child and actually just, it's just, it's just, they think it's funny. I just think it's unnecessary, but I don't know. I guess they were joking around, but I took it quite seriously, but I didn't say anything, although, but yeah, my response would be that it's just irrelevant and unnecessary when there are many costumes for you to, for you to wear, and even you don't even have to wear a costume. You don't even have to celebrate Halloween, but you choose to. But that would be my response. Right on, right on. I know I've said that for years. Halloween, I think that is 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 most representative uh, of the Urugu identity and and some of the core essences of what it means to identify as white. Uh, the deception and glorifying killing and death. Lots of the, the core elements of white supremacy on display. Uh, but that, that is a big one, too. I've said that before. If you, you know, acting like you don't want to participate in Halloween, it's been my experience. Folks kind of get upset about that, particularly younger people. Uh, it's not quite as bad as Christmas, but it generally is pretty bad if you're acting like you're rejecting uh, Halloween. Uh, you have to let us know how that evolves. Uh, our young scholar in the Bay Area, let us know how it evolves for the rest of the month of October as we get close to uh, the big day, I guess, 10 days or so. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Roz, if you could give me one second. I, I just wanted to ask sure. the female. Oh, no apologies. No apologies. I just wanted to ask the female caller that spoke before our young uh, scholar in the Bay Area, like, uh, what, I guess if you could explain, like, the specifics about what problem you're having. Oh, it's a little bit of echo. I don't know. Somebody's on speakerphone or what the deal is. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I took you off. I apologize. Okay. Um, the the main issue is that I do get when um, I I get offers still to 
to go and hang out. And actually one time when um, this has been like several months ago, um, I got an offer from a a white female, and I always assumed at that time, I was definitely very naive, I assumed that she was, you know, I didn't get any of the subliminal racist vibes from her or anything like that. She seemed real timid, what have you. But the place that we went to, it was like one of those lounges to where, you know, you had to have like a, a membership card or something and the door locked behind you. One of those type of places, I think they call it like uh, VWs, those type of places. And I really got a really bad vibe from there. And so it definitely made me curious as to, even though she's very timid, why would she still be in a place like this where, uh, from my from my experience, you could find uh, a suspected racist white supremacist or even a non-suspect, uh, just a regular racist white supremacist. So it, that's just the main thing, just trying to still be cordial with them but not give them that impression that I do want to continue with the extracurricular activities. I see, I see. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Do folks have suggestions? Because I know that has come up before when people, when they have started a job and they start to get information about codification, counter-racism, and so they're trying to add that uh, to how they function on the job, and sometimes that can uh, cause some disruptions or make things a little bit uncomfortable. It certainly sticks out. Whites notice that generally immediately. Anybody have suggestions on how they would navigate that? Um, I would... I would probably just basically set the stage for my schedule being different, that there's things that I do after work now that I wasn't doing back then, and these things supersede my ability to be able to stay at work, whether it's, you know, um, uh, you know, you have a relative that's ill that you take care of, or you started taking some classes or going to the gym or um Anything that you think, because you're in that situation, you know those people better than I do, but anything that you think would be a good enough excuse for your schedule being different in a way in which you no longer have the ability to spend that time with them after hours like you used to, pretty much. I think that might be a good a good way to go about it. Okay, thank you. That That really helps out tremendously. I actually, my sister, she's about to have a baby, so that I definitely have the best excuse, so thank you. You're welcome. And once the baby's here, you can even say, hey, you know, I'm babysitting. Bye. <laughs> I'm out of here. You know what I mean? So it's a perfect excuse, you know, and you can just keep it moving and, and distance yourself. And eventually they'll get used to that and they'll stop asking altogether because, hey, we already know what the deal is. You know, she's, she's watching her nephew or her niece. And, um, you know, from there, it'll be wonderful. So and also tell your sister, um, you know, congratulations and, and much love to her and um, a safe delivery. Thank you. Thank you. I know uh, the female caller in New York, uh, we had discussed previously if it's a situation where they're seeming like they're trying to make it a make it an issue. You declining their offers now when you did accept before, maybe having a schedule. And I think even some of that is in Spook Who Sat By The Door, part of Dan Freeman. He does go out time to time. He'll do a lunch with his coworkers from time to time. I certainly do not encourage anything after work, bars, that sort of thing, but he will do a lunch from time to time with them just to kind of maintain the facade to keep down problems. So if they are making it an issue, you can, I think uh, when the female caller in Michigan, I think we had talked about maybe like once a month, uh, you 
you do an outing just so they can't say that you never go out with them. Uh, but that might, may or may not be necessary depending on your situation. Okay, thank you. I, I definitely, I feel like the suggestions, I feel like that, given who they are, I'm trying not to, like, as I've been learning from all of this, not to underestimate them, but I think that that would definitely give me an upper hand on the situation. But thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, other folks had uh, suggestions uh, for her, or if you had questions about anything you've heard thus far, your own situation, feel free. Um, Gus, I did have a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You, you go ahead. I, I had a question for the other female caller, but go ahead. Greetings, everyone. Uh, uh, the the uh, the instance of Halloween. Uh, motivated me to uh, mention that white people go crazy over that ho- over that particular holiday uh primarily because you can be as a uh white person a quote unquote adult and engage in in it and it also for the reasons that I heard uh Gus mentioning about uh that it's just a uh a uh means to uh cloud the urge to to be murderous or terror terroristic uh and all the other sick things that have something to do with that particular uh uh quote unquote holiday i mean there i i mean I, I don't know about where everybody is at right now where they reside but uh people have been i've 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 seen people getting ready for that with their homes uh as early as late september uh, literally uh, decorating uh, things and whatnot, that sort of thing. So, uh, and, and it's something that's called the, I believe, the holiday season. Uh, and it kind of like kicks off with uh, holla, Halloween. So everybody just needs to start preparing themselves for a strategy because they come very quickly. Once Halloween goes, they, they, they come very quickly. So it'd be it'd be good to kind of like uh, you know in a codified way uh, systematically uh, already be prepared for them when they come along. Now the easiest way out you can you can call yourself a, a Jehovah's Witness. That's the easiest way out, I would say. Uh, I'm not I'm not necessarily advising anybody to not tell the truth <laughs> about you know uh, their religion or whatever. That sort of thing, but uh, I wouldn't be mad at him, uh, and mad at you for doing it. Uh, but uh, just be prepared for it, you know, and and because uh, you know the dates and and how ahead of time how ahead of time it, it is for you, you can prepare for it and uh, be able to get through that. Uh, I do I do feel for those people who really have to be confronted with that on the job. I kind of like took what I did for those 27 and a half years, uh, kind of like for granted compared to what I've been hearing on this program. Uh, because with me, uh, I just had a look on my face that you better not ask me any damn thing, you know, as far as that concerns, let alone talking about going, going somewhere, uh, in proximity where white people were at anyway or anything. Uh, so, but, but I do know, I do understand just from listening to this program on how, uh, in other jobs, it it can be quite, you know, uh, quite a lot of pressure involved with it. 
that makes it much more complicated than what my experiences were. And uh, I'll uh, <coughs> be quiet and, and chime in later on. Thank you. Appreciate that, retired firefighter. Uh, Roz, were you going to get your question in, sir? Uh, yes. Um, I wanted to say first for the um, black female who said she had a sore throat, um, if you can get your hands on, they sell it on Amazon. It's called Young Living Thieves Oil Mouthwash. It'll um, actually actually kill that really quickly, and also pineapple juice is good for that as well. It actually works, they say, about five times better than cough syrup, and I've tried it, and it does work, so it's something else you might want to try as well. Um, for the, um, the black female who works in the basement with these creatures, I wanted to know if she's taken any measures to protect herself because that just really struck a chord with me um, as far as when she talked about that, and I really want to just empathize with you for that, because that's just a horrible scenario to be in. Uh, is the female caller still with us? Don't know if she hit her mute button. Not hearing her. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm still here. I'm the one with the sore throat. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that call, syrup? Because that would be great. Yes, it's called Young Living Thieves Oil Mouthwash. And it's extremely powerful, but it'll kill all the germs in your throat, um, and it'll help you feel a lot better. And if you have Amazon Prime, they can usually deliver it within about two days, and then also you can utilize um, pineapple juice. That is also awesome on the sore throat as well. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, I guess the caller that worked in the lower level uh, with the other white males and there was concerns uh, about uh, them eyeing you up, that sort of thing. Uh, are you still with us as well? Or? I hope you didn't okay. Hello? Oh, okay. Yes, ma'am. Was that you? You worked with the uh, other white males and there was concerns they might be eyeing you up? Yes. Okay. Uh, Raj, you want to repeat your question? Yes, I just wanted to ask if um, if you have been able to take any measures to protect yourself, simply because I'm concerned about that. That just really kind of disturbed me. Um, I think that's just a horrific situation to be in, and I sincerely empathize with you. Um, I carry mace, and I know, I mean, I don't, well, here's the thing. I guess I could be like delusional about it to think I don't see myself being pulled in the back and being raped or anything like that, although it is quite possible. Um, my intention, my plan is to dip quite soon um, and to just put myself in an entirely different environment and situation. But my immediate measures, like I always, everywhere, I always have stuff. Let me put it like that. Whether it's mace, whether it's like my letter opener or my scissors, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I always have things on my person and in strategic places where I would be because I have calculated in, in any environment. Um, I have done that. But my intention is to, to leave this job. Like, I have no intention. I don't even care about the whole promotion thing or anything like that. I'm just ready to go. I appreciate your concern, though. Okay, wonderful. And also, um, if you're interested on Amazon.com, they have something called a credit card knife, and it looks like a credit card, but you can fold it. I have the key. Really... Oh, oh, you do? Okay, good. They yeah, also I got have the key. Really I'm cheap. Wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Good. I just wanted to throw that out there, too. And the tactical pen is pretty good. They have one. Um, yeah. 
yeah, get one of those, and you can really put a hurting on somebody if they try to touch you, especially, you know, hit them in the privacy, it's a rat. So I just wanted to give you some of those suggestions because you really had me nervous. So just be careful, and I wish you the best in your transition as well. And I will tell you this. Thank you very much. I will. Yeah, I got the key. I love my key. Um, okay, wonderful. But there's this, like, chokehold that was, like, floating around on Facebook, so I shared it, but I'm also, like, like I've watched that on a regular basis. You know what I mean? Because then I need to practice at some point, but, like, how to move the shirt and anything, like, if someone tried to aggress me. But, yeah, I think about it. All right, wonderful. Um, I wanted to actually chime in with my own workplace uh, situation as well. Speaking about Halloween, um, they have, like, this whole celebration coming up on my job, and people can bring, I guess, like, a, their children with them, and they're going to have some sort of scavenger hunt. And I just made it clear from the very beginning, I don't do Halloween, and I really don't do holidays at all. I said I, said, I celebrate African holidays. Um, that's my spirituality, so I don't deal with any holidays whatsoever. Um, and I make that clear every holiday, so they know not to even bother me with that, you know, and I, I just, just lay the law down early, and it kind of just keeps me out of any scenarios where they want me to uh, participate in those sorts of debased European holidays. And also, I think just the fact that I live so far from the job, I have my own situation with my family outside of work, and then a lot of these um, celebrations um, that they have are in the middle of the week, and I travel like two hours <laughs> one way, to the, you know, or four hours total every day to and from work. So it's not uh, conducive to me staying at any events that they have. So it works out perfectly in my favor, but I still just lay the law down in that regard as far as me just not celebrating the holidays at all. Um, the other thing, excuse me, was um, the story that I was telling previously about the uh, my Puerto Rican coworker who uh found out that they were playing this, this racist game on game night, this uh, game called Puerto Rico, where basically you're, you're a plant, plantation owner selling slaves and plantations and try, basically the premise of the game is to build as, uh, gain as many uh, plantations as possible, and this is during the uh, colonial era in the Caribbean so basically you're talking about just when, you know, when uh, after Christopher Columbus, when Europeans just went crazy, uh, snatching up all the different uh, islands in the Caribbean and she was telling me today that she feels that our supervisor is treating her differently and it's in a negative way, like she's getting just negative vibes from her in regards to um, just a couple of meetings that we had and um, situations where she had to have conversations with her and she just felt that the conversations were kind of curt and um, emotionless. And um, one of my other coworkers suggested that he actually just address that in the conversation because she feels ever since she brought up this uh, white male who, who facilitated this game night, and, and um, from what I understand, he's the one who brought the game in, um, it seems like she's, her attitude has changed. And what they've also done is they've formed like Voltron on her in a way in which they're trying to protect this white male by saying, oh, he wasn't aware of, um, you know, the connotations of the game and, this, and all kinds of nonsense when multiple people in the job were upset and complained about it, but nothing was done. And she was the one who took it the furthest simply because she is Puerto Rican and um, she felt highly offended by the game. And the human resources female representative, another white female terrorist, um, did the same thing. And she has the emails to prove it as well as far as trying to downplay um, 
his knowledge of what it was and give him the benefit of the doubt when she actually attempted to speak to him outside of uh, contacting HR on at least two occasions, and it was after the third time that he actually made an attempt to uh, rectify the situation at all. Um, and what I told her, because she's planning to have a meeting with her um, in the next few days, and I actually told her about the USB recorder, and I said, what I think you should do is record every conversation that you have with our supervisor. Um, you know, I, and she's been taking notes of the different events, so I just told her to make sure she emails those things to her house, and that whenever she has this meeting, that she can get, she's actually purchasing it today, actually she purchased it today, and um, I said, you know, record not just this meeting, but anytime you have a meeting with her, um, especially when you're either in private with her, and even when we have the meetings where we're in a group setting, because it was in one of the group setting meetings where she felt that she kind of got, uh, you know, a negative vibe when she asked a question about something related to work. So I said, record everything, and that way you have a means of protecting yourself in regards to what's taking place um, as far as how you feel you're being treated in that scenario. And the other thing was um, maybe about a week and a half ago, I had a meeting with her. And in the meeting, it's like a one-on-one -on -one meeting where before you go into the meeting, you have to write down like what you think your strengths are and what you think you need to improve. And then you have other people that you choose actually do the same. So in other words, you're having coworkers assess, um, you know, what type of worker you are based on your experiences with them and their experiences with you, and then you self-assess at the same time. So I did the self-assessment, and I had three other people who I uh, asked to facilitate uh, basically writing up this, uh, this uh, insight into my work history there. And um, it was incredibly positive, and she was telling me these things. And this is the same supervisor who um, the other black male came to me about as well and told me that after he thwarted her and her sexual advances, um, she's been trying to get rid of him um, for at least the last six months from what he was telling me. And my coworker who I was just speaking about is also aware of the situation with him. So come to find out, I'm not, he, he, he actually told me directly personally but other people know about it. So I, I don't know if other people bore witness to some of the stuff that was happening, but if he might have talked to someone else, talked to her as well, but she was aware of that situation. And in the meetings, um, like I said, I think it was last week in Workplace Racism, she was, um, you know, very complimentary and stuff. And um, I just felt it was really, uh, I think it was, in my mind, it was more like uh, rhetorical ethics. I don't trust anything she says. Um, she said that the people who actually gave the write-ups to her had nothing but really incredibly positive things to say. She had nothing but incredibly positive things to say about me as well. But when I juxtapose that with the situations that are taking place with the person that sits next to me and then the black male who is dealing with the um, sexual harassment now turned to uh, get you fired terrorism, um, essentially I don't trust anything that she does or says so I'm keeping you know as I'm working on transitioning to another situation I'm keeping my eyes open for things with her as well and um, I will keep recording our meetings just to make sure that I have a means of protecting myself if something hits the fan with her as well so those are my workplace racism incidences and I'd like to thank you and I'll meet my line wow man document 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 that is uh one of the easier methods we can employ uh, to kind of protect ourselves, as Raj just said, document things, whether that's taking notes, recorder, whatever means uh, you employ, or having several means 
uh, for documenting things that are happening on the job. Really important. Uh, that said, I did want to say also uh, for not just for the female caller who is having the situation, uh, the other white males and it, it possibly being a dangerous environment. I know Roz talked before about having uh, a mirror at your work area so that you can kind of see things that are happening behind you. Uh, it certainly might be a good idea for her and for other folks that are listening. Uh, just if you are in an environment where things are happening behind you, I think we've had people call in before even saying that a white person has bumped them, uh, hit them in the head, or done something uh, coming by or that sort of thing, walking behind them. So just, again, putting that out there, folks uh, want to have an extra means for just kind of having some surveillance and, and being able to see what's happening behind you in the office area. Uh, we had a person that wrote in a commentary. Uh, this individual says... I am a 41-year-old black male who works in a Mediterranean restaurant part-time in Washington, D.C. I work in the kitchen, which is run by a white chef from North Carolina. This man is very open about how he is on child support, has fought for this country while in the military, and how he doesn't have white privilege. He often talks about how blacks complain too much and need to go to work like everyone else. The whole kitchen is comprised of an all non-white black people. It's infuriating to listen to him and discouraging to see none of them, none of the black people say anything when he brings up wild topics. One of the most recent was when he said Trayvon, uh, Trayvon talking about Trayvon Martin, deserved what he got. Are you kidding me? I have a six-year-old black son. I spoke up to one of the black cooks and told him that I thought the chef was a racist and they were more or less like, well, you know that's how chef is, more or less. We just have to take it on the chin. The white man is in power. I honestly don't know how long I can keep this job. His new antic is to tell us ghetto word of the day. His latest word was bishop. My, my girl fell down and I had to pick the bishop bitch up. I know, hilarious, right? The chef often talks about the Latina woman he dates and about how his half-black son is a great basketball player in his high school in North Carolina. He often speaks on what he is able to do sexually with these non-white women how he is able to urinate on them, and how much they love it. The thing is, no black person in the kitchen says anything because he is the master chef. Emphasis on the word master. Please tell me, what should I do? I need this job, but enough is enough. Wowee. Um, with regards to the comments that he's making, those are the type of thing I would try to write down as many as possible. Uh, that's one of those, I think, one of the more recent cases that I saw. I think it was a young black male. He was working in, like, a, an auto shop or something. And he had, like, 160 recordings of them making racist jokes and racist comments about black people and saying black people are late. He just piled up, like, 160 of these to go to court. I would say try to pile up as many of them as you can. Uh, I contend, and I could be in error. I contend 
understanding racism, understanding that this is not a surprise. Maybe uh, it is a little bit unusual to have a white person be that open and explicit in their dedication to racism, but a racist white person should not be a surprise. Uh, that's, you know, thank you for letting me know all this so I'll know to make sure that we never eat at this restaurant, never serve any food in this restaurant if this is a part-time gig. Uh, looking at the timetable for how long am I going to be here, uh, if this is a part-time gig, this is not your uh, main source of income. Uh, what's my timetable for how long do I want to be here? Do I envision myself being here for, you know, years, uh, months? What's my timetable for being here? Uh, if it's a short timetable, I would try to pile up as many racist, blatantly racist comments as possible, whether you have an MP3 or audio recorder, uh, whether you're taking notes, uh, get as many of these comments recorded as possible, and then if you decide you want to pursue something with it, great. If not, that's fine too. Uh, in terms of expecting other black people to speak up, I try to, to reiterate this as often as possible. I think we really set ourselves up for a lot of frustration and disappointment expecting other black people uh, to respond uh, in some kind of way that we deem would be adequate to racism. Uh, I think the only person that you can count on to respond to racism is you. Uh, I think that's the best way to go into any situation. And, you know, if it's another black person, I don't know if it's these black people, if it's their full-time job, part-time job, I don't know what their situation is, but I would just assume, I would care who it is, even President Obama, that they are never going to say anything. Uh, that they're victims of racism and they're just trying to keep, you know, their little job so they can make their few little nickels and take care of their family as best they can. That would be my assumption. As victims of racism, they got VGQ. They're guaranteed to do that. I would not, I would, I would work diligently, even though I understand the logic, I would work diligently to minimize my frustration at them for not responding. Uh, and just focus on whether or not you want to respond. Because they could be thinking the same thing about you, right? about, you know, he's been saying these things and you didn't say anything. He had his ghetto word of the day and you didn't say anything. So I would really just try and focus on what's my response going to be? Do I want to say something? And what can I say that will not create new problems for me? That's always, I think, something that we should have in the forefront of my mind. Uh, if it's just to get him to stop saying these things, okay, what can I say that will get him to stop making these sort of comments? Um, I'm of the opinion, again, and particularly since this is part-time, again, I don't know how long you're going to be on this job, I would just try to get as many recordings or documents of these type of statements as possible, and then you can decide how you want to use uh, that information moving forward. Uh, other folks, uh, did you all have uh, comments, or how would, you, how would you deal with that situation, the one that I just read? Um, I think when you said um, that his other co-worker said that um, this is how how he speaks, this is how masters speak, you know how they are. He understands racism. That person who said that understood, and he understood um, in a way in which, to me, the, the result of having nobody else chime in or come to uh, back up what he was trying to do to um, instate justice in some form or fashion, which would and should be expected. And I think um, the information that you provided is perfect. I think that he is literally the best example of where recording your entire shift is appropriate. Um, I think if he can get his hands on that USB recorder on um, Amazon, they have it for about eleven ninety nine. It's um 
and it records up to 13 hours. So I don't know. He is part-time, so hopefully he should, he should have more than enough time to record his entire shift. And like you said, just rack, rack them up, accumulate as much as possible. And then um, if he does it, uh, transition and he wants to move forward with the lawsuit or something of that nature, he has everything in that person's own words. There's nothing where, even if it was written, that should be fine too. But the idea of having him recorded, they can actually hear the venom with which he speaks and the racism that he is displaying um, in the most intimate fashion. So it'll make him uh, look like the guilty, uh, racist son of a gun that he really is. And with that, I'll mute my line. Thank you. I would write a Yelp review as well um, to encourage black people to not eat at this establishment. There's a lot of black people in the D.C. area, so I don't know if uh, they're into Mediterranean out there, but just the volume of black people, it wouldn't surprise me if some, be, uh, some of them are go to that establishment. I would encourage them not to eat there. I think that would be a move of black self-respect, too. Um, other folks have a uh, response to the scenario I just read? May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, just uh, background, I did work uh, 23 years as a carpenter, so I do know about um, in those physical environments where they're a little bit less codified, they can to get a little bit more comfortable with the things that they let slip. And my approach may not work for everybody because my, my approach is kind of in your face. They say it, and they always say it as a joke, ha, ha, ha. And then if you act offended, you're the overly sensitive black person who takes offense to everything and can't take a joke. I would just turn around and tell a redneck joke. So in the end, they stopped telling me black jokes because my jokes are better. Because then when they look offended, I say, what? It's just a joke. The same thing they said to me when I looked offended when they told their joke. So, um, and now that I've left carpentry and now I'm on a corporate plantation, it really is a corporate sweatshop. There's 700 employees, 85% are black. They don't keep anything clean. So it's a lot different environment because you do have to, you're supposed to keep up the PC facade, you know, the PC office. Oh, we have our fun club and we do all these little things. But the undertone is of the 15% of white people that are there, 85% of them are in the corporate hallway where you have to whisper and, or their supervisors. So it, it really is run like a plantation. And, and my approach is straightforward truth nothing gets white people out of your face more than the truth. They do not like the truth. And so, you know, I do still get a few that'll straggle up and try to see if I'm going to tell them the truth. Um, most of the higher-ups just avoid me. I'm very good at my job. I come in, I do my job, I go home. I think uh, they get a sick sense of satisfaction at seeing us play this role and succumb to the mannerisms that they enforce upon us in order to keep our job. And um, so, like um, the lady said last night on the show, Ms. Manswell, you know, you have to pick your activism as much as your wallet can handle. And as a single woman with no kids, I will eat saltine crackers before I will entertain a cracker. And that's how I feel. I'm you by line. Uh, that's funny. Uh, other folks have uh, commentary, suggestions for how they would uh, respond to the situation with the racist master chef, emphasis on master. Other folks have uh, suggestions. A little uh, echo there, a little echo. Uh, other folks have suggestions. 
I reckon not. Uh, folks that we have not heard from, uh, if you wanted to share about your own situation, if you had questions about anything that uh, we've shared thus far, feel free. Hello? Yeah. Greetings. Uh, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Oh, my gosh. Hi, guys. <laughs> um, I'm a first-time caller. Um, I, I could be called a uh, soul scribe. Um, I live in uh, Inglewood, California, and um, I work for a uh, government county facility. <sighs> um, I wanted to uh, discuss the issue that I'm having at work. Um, I work in a semi-professional setting. Um, some people have degrees, others just work their way to the top uh, through their efforts. Um, uh, well, let me just describe me a little bit. I'm, I'm a dark-skinned woman who's kind of uh, voluptuous, and um, I get uh, rude comments uh, relating to my body parts and stuff, and I ignore it, but they uh, seem to make that an issue, the women make that an issue a lot, and this is going to be related to uh, the incident that had happened. So, um, two weeks ago, uh, it was a young lady who's about, a young black woman, who's about uh, 29, 30, she has a degree, I don't. Um, She kept going past my cubicle, uh, making suggestive comments, derogatory suggestive, subjective comments. And um, I mentioned it to some of my coworkers who was aware of it because um, she talked about me indirectly. Um, so I've been told. So um, it started to bother me. Uh, um, that's not the first time it happened before, but it started to be irritating. So I went to her supervisor, and I asked him if he can tell her to please stop making those noise or those comments when she walked past my cubicle. Um, he told me that he would take care of it. I thought everything was great. I went back to my job. Um, about 30 minutes after I told him, oh, my God. <sighs> Um, the young lady appeared in my cubicle, hollering and screaming, uh, demanding that I talk to her. I told her that I'm, I cannot talk to you because I'm working. Uh, she said, well, when's your break? And I said, whenever it is, but I'm not going to use it to, to talk to you. She kept insisting. Uh, I, I kept stating that uh, I'm trying to work and I'm not going to talk to you. So she just kept demanding. So I dropped the F-bomb. Bomb. I just told her to get the F away from my cubicle. I didn't know what else to do. And at that moment, this young woman lunged at me like she wanted to hit me. Um, one of my coworkers had to physically remove her from my cubicle area. I just thought that was so bizarre. And um, usually you would go straight to administration when these type of incidents occur, but because uh, my um, administrators, they, they were uh, at a meeting and my supervisor wasn't available and it was time to go home, uh, so I just went home um, and I didn't come back. And I, I, 
I went to the doctor and I got an excuse because uh, I'm a little frazzled from that incident. I'm, I'm 48 years old. <laughs> so my nerves were still kind of rattled by the whole incident. Um, being dressed like that, I, I just never have been in my whole entire life. I've been working for this uh, uh, company for 25 years, and I've never had that happen. So um, I haven't been able to write a statement due to my nerves. My nerves is really bad now. And um, I am supposed to return back to work on Monday. Um, I'm asking because uh, uh, um, my administrator wants me to go to their office to discuss the situation. Um, how can I uh, tell my side of uh, the incident without uh, being emotional? Wow. That is tough. I, uh, I can sense just in you recounting it how uh, unpleasant this whole situation has been. You certainly have my sympathies. Um, was this a, a white woman, the one that was coming by your desk and making, I guess, whatever sounds, uh, inappropriate uh, sounds or whatever she was making? Was this a white woman or a non-white female? Uh, non-white woman. Non-white female. A, a young black uh, educated woman. Okay, okay. So it was a young black female uh, where you ended yes. up having this conflict with. And uh, yes. I guess after you told your supervisor, you know, can you say something to her about making these sounds or what have you? And I, I don't know if he sounds like maybe he did say something. And then she came back and got upset about that uh, in your area and saying, I guess you're going to talk to me or whatever. She's yelling at you. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly what happened. Okay. Wow. Uh, conflict between non-white people. Unfortunately, we've had that on the job and I've stated consistently that's uh, a major, that is a major task uh, of counter-racism, even if you're not using that language, uh, minimizing conflict uh, between other non-white people. Uh, I will say, uh, just I guess to preface, um, I'll try and you know have a suggestion or two or a thought on, on what to do at this point and where you are, but uh, I do recommend if it's another non-white person, particularly if it's two black people or a group where everybody is classified as black, um, to try to resolve the situation with them first, if you can, uh, without having to bring a supervisor in it, like whatever it is, if you can talk to the person courteously and just whatever you can do. Uh, and, and even letting them know like, hey, you know, I could or we could go and talk to whoever the supervisor is. We could bring white people into it or if you have a non-white supervisor. But, you know, I was hoping we could just kind of squash this and, and move forward, make our money and, and get through the day as best we can. I always uh, I'm a big advocate of, of that if it's another black person. But be that as it may, where we are in the, st in the story, um, I think uh, I mean, it sounds like just going with the truth uh, of the matter. Um, I would just, yeah. you know, itemize. Uh, that you were at your desk area uh, and the person came by and exactly what they were saying. Uh, if they were cursing at you or whatever they were saying, they were yelling at you and being uh, hostile. Uh, you didn't feel safe. You asked them, you know, to exit and they refused to do so. And they just continued uh, threatening you or whatever, you know, specifically uh, they were saying uh, until, you know, you got to the point where you were so frustrated because you had asked them repeatedly to leave and, um, you know, said whatever you said, you know, get the F away from my mm -hmm. station or whatever. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then she lunged at you. I would, I would definitely make sure, uh, to include that, uh, that, you know, there was 
a you felt a legitimate threat of physical violence uh, that could have occurred yeah. as a result of all this. I would just itemize the truth. It sounds like other people might have witnessed this. Uh, so there might be people who can corroborate uh, what happened uh, in the incident. I would just write it out truthfully. You said, uh, you, I guess, being concerned about it not being emotional. Uh, it sounds like, you know, you handled things as, as best you could. If this had been going on for a while, I don't know. Whatever. What what sound, I guess, was she making uh, before that prompted? Um, when she was past my cubicle, she would just make some really juvenile sounds like, ugh, or look at her, or, you know, just little kindergarten stuff. That was just so juvenile. And um, I, at first I thought, like, okay, you know, I'll brush it off. But it became a, it became consistent. And she doesn't work in her area. She works on the other side. So I never noticed she was coming over until she made a noise. I, I've never, you know, witnessed her, you know, going to other cubicles to talk to her friends uh, until she made a, a noise. So I, I was... was contemplating approaching her and asking her before I uh, told her boss, but she made some really um, some comments that made me think that she wasn't approachable. She said, you know, I'm, I remember we were in the restaurant one time and I, I, I spoke. Uh, I got the total cricket silent treatment. So I, I never... You know, approached her like that again, and then I, you know, witnessed her saying, I observed her saying, you know, I don't, I don't talk to people who are beneath me. So, do you have any reason to suspect that she has some sort of animosity or has a problem with you because you, uh, because of your melanin? Like, I know, I think you mentioned that you're melanated, curvy, black female. Do you, do you think that's mm -hmm. related to some of this hostility? Um, I do, because um, I heard from word of mouth that she was playing the victim because I am statuesque. Um, she was saying that, you know, because she's petite, a nicely shaped young, young woman, um, she said, well, you know, how could I be taunting her? You know, she's bigger than me. You know, and, 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 and those words, you know, just, I mean, I guess she's trying to uh, validate whatever. But I, I, I don't want uh, to stop this young woman from promoting because she had just, she's waiting to get promoted to another area. She was just waiting to get cleared. And what weighing heavy in my heart is, and, and, you know, because she's young and she's educated, she has the opportunity to move on. But I feel that, and I may be contradicting myself, but I am a little nervous, that if I do, uh, just go along with this, this can really hurt her. And she has a child and she's a single parent. So that's something, you know, I, I don't, I, I want to, I don't know if I should minimize the truth so, you know, she can just go further on. I, I want to see her succeed. I don't have any animosity to, towards her. And I've had this situation happen to me before about a year and a half ago. There were a group of women who would sit in cubicles and just discuss, uh, you know, people, private businesses such as my own. Uh, I did make a um, complaint, um, and one of the administrators told me not to worry about it. Uh, the women continued to uh, harass me and another young, uh, an older woman who was like around 50, and the 50-year-old woman wanted to fight the women, 
you know, and then it, just, it became really horrible. So they wind up, uh, they, uh, the result of that was that they transferred everybody out. Wow. So they dispersed those group of women. But <laughs> now that I just got promoted, now I'm faced with the same situation with an, another uh, uh, young woman who was aware of the incident that happened in the past. So, and, I, and with that situation, like I said, I, I did uh, make a complaint. I, I did go to the person and, and asked them personally to stop. She thought it was a joke, and she continued on, and I just ignored it, uh, you know, because I didn't have any support. That's going to be a, a consistent... Uh, a consistent aspect of how white supremacy is manifest for us in the workplace. So I said really everywhere uh, in terms of minimizing conflict with other black people, other non-white people, mm -hmm. that's got to be a major component of how we function uh, with counter-racism. Mm -hmm. And this happens on the job so frequently just because of the contamination of white supremacy uh, where conflict uh, can be started with another non-white person for really no reason at all uh, where you all didn't have mm -hmm. Uh, a bad interaction. It's not like you all were working right. together and something went bad just because mm -hmm. of the system of white supremacy. Just see another black person, see somebody else with melanin. Oh, I don't like that person because <laughs> how they looked or whatever. I mean, it, it's, it's yeah. beautiful, but it happens so frequently. I was going to ask if we have uh, any, any of our black female callers, because I know this issue came up uh, about a week or so ago. One of our black female callers uh, asked for suggestions where she was having harassment, uh, unprovoked harassment from other black females on the job, and she was asking for tips on how to deal with that. Uh, any of our black female callers have any suggestions for how you would deal with this, particularly, I think, because you added on kind of towards the end uh, that you, you don't want to see her career upended and, you know, you would like to get through this where there can be as little damage as possible and just have it resolved right. so you don't have to keep dealing yeah. with this. Any of our female right. callers, do you have any, any suggestions for how you would deal with this moving forward? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, this is Jay from Ohio. Um, I know when I had my issue, and I actually had a very similar issue, except it wasn't a black person, it was the, the white girl. But I know that what I actually ended up doing, and it was actually provoked by um, a few black males who actually, you know, started talking about my body, and I'm definitely, you know, similar shape to the other caller, except I'm, I'm younger. Um, but I actually just removed, I, we would all actually eat together, hang out together, and so I actually just stopped being around them completely, and I did end up actually just making up excuses why not to go around them. I know that doesn't necessarily work for the, the caller from Inglewood, because the lady is actually coming over to her area, and she's it's definitely unprovoked. But as far as, like, just with her retelling her story, um, I know what has helped me out in the past is just writing it down because I'm also very timid. So at least if you can write it down, you don't necessarily have to read it word for word, but at least mm -hmm. you can remember what you're saying, what you what, the, the point that you want to get across. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely understand what you mean because, as far as, like, with the black males, I considered them my friends, and so I didn't necessarily want to go 
to HR, which was something that I definitely could have done, especially since it would be uh, male-to-female type of situation. So I, I can definitely understand that. All What worked for me was just basically just removing myself from them and just cutting down communication as much as possible, but maybe just definitely writing down, you know, what happened. And if you did want to proceed with, you know, telling your story to the administration or what have you, at least you would have that information um, and maybe it might help you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I think with the writing down, I know Mr. Fuller, he said previously, um, if you're going to write out an incident, and I think in this situation it would be good to write it out maybe ahead of time just for you yourself to get all the details down and the best words uh, that you want to use to describe the situation. Mm-hmm. If you write down like your official statement to take in uh, to work, I would do uh, bullet points or numbers yeah. as opposed to like a massive story where you have several paragraphs. <laughs> I think if you just do uh, like bullet points or numbers, it mm-hmm. forces you to like just streamline it and just these are the like the this is how it happens. So point one, she comes over and is saying whatever. Point two, I ask her to leave. Point th- just boom, boom, boom. So you can go right through it really quick. This is what happened and get right to the specifics and the details. Um, That's just a suggestion Mr. Fuller offered. We have any other black females who had suggestions on on how they would respond to the situation? Any other black female uh, callers who had thoughts, recommendations, how they would handle this situation? Okay. Any other folks, period? Even our male callers, any other folks, period? Uh, Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes. Um, I, again, I empathize with you. This is it's a really terrible situation. And uh, um, uh, big up to you for black self-respect in regards to not wanting to see her uh, fail uh, or, or fall into a situation where um, she might have to, trouble taking care of herself and her child since she's a single mother. I was thinking um, everything that Gus uh, said I think is a great way to move forward and what you can probably do maybe is at the end you can probably say something like well even though I don't fully understand what led to this situation I don't want her to lose her job she was just mm-hmm. about to you know transfer someplace else which would alleviate this whole situation right. um can we please move forward with that you know i really you know i have no, no animosity towards her I, like i said i don't know why this happened i didn't provoke the situation but i don't want to see her get terminated for something right. like this when she can move on and, and continue to do you know do things for herself to take care of her family so i think that might be something you want to put towards the end of like maybe a final bullet point or one of the last bullet points that you use and um, for the other female who spoke to you, um, when she talked about the fact that it was black males that um, facilitated uh, this white female harassing her like she did, it really struck a chord with me because I've said this repeatedly, you know, my wife's most viscerally hurtful experiences have come at the hands of other black people. And on many occasions, she has seen black people egged white people on in harassing her or other non-white people in harassing her in public spaces. And it is something that we really have to work on because of course we don't have power as it is, but when you have other black people who are setting up a scenario 
for a white terrorist to further terrorize you, it is one of the worst experiences ever. And it has, mm-hmm. that situation in particular has made it extremely difficult for me to get my wife to understand certain concepts in regards to understanding that all white people are the most deadly creatures she could ever come across. And mm-hmm. just us mistreating each other can create a scenario that can create life or death situations for our people. And we really right. have to start thinking ahead when we make these decisions. And think before you do, why don't I like this person? Like, what did that person do to me to make me have this visceral anger towards them? And then mm-hmm. self-analyze, because it's really coming from yourself. If you look in the mirror, you're not liking what you see in the mirror, and that's causing you to mistreat someone else that looks like you. And it is the worst-case scenario when you're in a job, you're being terrorized already, you're a black person and a black female, so you're getting it worse. And then you have other black people facilitating literally terrorism. That's horrible, and we really have to end that um, collectively as a people, united, independent, we have to start thinking about what we're doing to each other because this is how they get away with what they get away with. And when we support these things, they feel even more empowered to continue to do these things to us. So please, let's work on that together, people. Thank you. And I'll meet my line. I appreciate that. Um, if I may add, um, I, I was just promoted um, in April. And I had a uh, a black male uh, person uh, training, and he was a little, you know, rude. Um, I don't know anybody who would come to someone's cubicle and lift up their shirt and start rubbing their stomach. I, I don't think that's normal. Um, so I went to my supervisor, and I, I told her that, you know, I'm going through the change. You know, I'm perspiring and, you know, going through that situation. And because she did have someone that was female uh, helping me. So uh, that's just one of the ways that I'm trying to minimize conflict amongst us. Uh, I don't gossip. I, I talk about things that are beneficial. Um, I don't have a lot of friends. It's uh, two people that I actually hang out with. Um, but I, I am trying my best to minimize conflict. and. My intent with the young lady was to minimize the conflict. It was very irritating, and I wanted it to stop at all. I, I didn't want any type of nothing. I, I, I didn't want any problem. So, but I, I appreciate um, your advice, your suggestions. This is well taken. Thank you, and I'll meet my line. Um, May I vote? Yes, ma'am. Um, I wasn't able to speak earlier when you were asking for the black females because I'm not really good at doing it with the computer, so I had to dial back in right quick. But um, because of the age, because you're 48, I know I'm 44, and I'm also tall, so I definitely relate to your pain, just being ostracized, just for being taller than everybody, and always perceived as a threat, being taller than everybody, even though, you know, I'm probably one of the most feminine women outside of, you know, when I'm working with tools. Um, but from an elder perspective, looking at our history and seeing how broken our people are, as the um, brother was saying about writing down your bullet points to process your thoughts, you might consider even communicating with the young lady in writing. Um, that way she doesn't feel the need to defend herself. Um, it does, she doesn't, you know, it, it kind of helps to tame that negative energy that tends to spark between us when we're in groups. Um, and just, you know, express understanding. 
um, express your concern for her family that she's trying to raise, express your lack of animosity, and and maybe if you guys could clear the air through writing before the meeting, it would just change the tone of the meeting so she at least doesn't come into the meeting with that defensive persona, which would just put on a show for the supervisors. So maybe even communicating with her in writing, because I know on my job, I think one of the reasons why I don't get as much flack from the women on the job, because I know my people are broken and I do have empathy for them, so I don't lash out at them. I, I haven't had any altercations. And part of that is because I spend so much time telling them how beautiful they are to me. Um, it's like as much hate as we put on each other, you know, like, oh, look at her shoes. Look at that. I'm always going like, oh, I love your hair. That's a beautiful hair. Oh, look at that sweater. So they know that I don't have those jealousies. I'm not participating in those jealousies. And whatever we may feel personally about each other, you're a beautiful black woman. You're a beautiful, strong black man. And, and it helps to kind of like, I don't, I'm surprised considering as much conflict because I do see sometimes they'll sit with, you know, the white supervisors and I can feel, you know, how you see the side eye, you know, you're the topic of conversation because I do create that type of energy with the supervisors, but I never get any of that back at me from my people. I get hugs, you know, from the few that are receptive, but those who are not, if they don't want to talk to me, they just don't talk to me, but I compliment everybody. So that's one thing that might work, you know, because we are a broken and pain and suffering people. I'm you by line. Grand. I was going to say. Yes, ma'am. Uh, just really quick. Oh. I was, I was going to insert uh, that. I think also should be motivation in terms of really making sure that we're working to minimize conflict on the workplace. I think it was mm -hmm. shared earlier uh, because if whites have anything to do with it, they could just come in and say, well, uh, you niggas can't get along. We're just going to hire a new batch <laughs> of niggers uh, who can behave themselves on the job and just fire everybody. Or transfer everybody or, you know, cut everybody's hours. They could totally do right. that. So that's just right. added motivation for, you know, let's really try to do all that we can to minimize conflict. Right. And even in, in the incident that was shared this evening where you didn't really do anything to provoke uh, this conflict. But once you see it, like that almost becomes irrelevant. Like, let's just try to do as much as we can within reason uh, to minimize mm -hmm. this and definitely see if we can keep whites from having to get directly involved and in making the situation right way on, worse right. for all of us. So just keep that in mind too. I was just going to say, I do, I do compliment. I'm a, I think I'm a serial complimenter. Uh, I'm a woman. I, I admire other women's style and hair and dress. However, uh, I just, I, I just think I'm very intimidating just because of my statuesqueness, uh, my voluptuous just, you know, just, I think everything is in the right place. But I've just noticed it, it, it made people uncomfortable. You know, like, how could you be, you know, look like that and have that kind of shape? You know, I mean, like, it's, it's one of those kind of things. And, and I don't promote that. I, I want people to see, you know, my manners, my personality. But for some reason, that's always um, a subject of conversations, you know, some type of body part that I have. So, but um, I, I appreciate uh, your advice. Uh, I, and I appreciate the advice of uh, just trying to approach the young woman if she would allow me to. The, the young woman, is, uh, she's not approachable. Do it in yeah. writing. I, 
I really think oh. that will work. I really okay. think that will work if you write it in a, a blank card, like get a blank card and express your thoughts. Um, and even if you could just find out where she sits and leave it on her cubicle so she finds it in the morning if you get there 15 minutes early. Mm-hmm. And, and that way she can process her thoughts alone, you know. And I really think that might help you a lot more um, because a lot of times people lash out because they're in pain. Because it sounds mm-hmm. like she's just, who knows what's going on in her life. Right. Um, because I definitely understand, because I'm six feet tall. I was called, my last name, I was called the bus. All through school, so I, was, <laughs> so I definitely understand how it can be intimidating to people. Yeah. So I definitely understand your perspective. Yeah, appreciate that. Thank you, Nice talking to you, sis. Likewise, thank you so much. And I'm mute oh, mine also. I appreciate well, I it. Thought, I thought of one more thing. When you do write um in the card to her, or mm-hmm. if you write her a letter, um mm-hmm. don't put anything that can be viewed as quote unquote anti-white or anything like that, because um, you might want to connect with her on, a, on, a, on being two black people working in a situation that's already tough to be in in the first place. So mm-hmm. you just want to word it carefully so that in case she shows it to someone else or something, they don't mm-hmm. get the wrong impression and then start scrutinizing you in a way that they wouldn't have. So you just want to really be um, careful with the verbiage and the wordplay, okay? Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, too. And, and I wish you all the best. I truly, truly empathize with both of you. Thank you. All of you, actually. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. I'll mute my line. Thank you. Context of white supremacy. Uh, Anybody that we have not heard from. Actually, I had one other person that wrote in. Uh, This person uh, wrote in. All right. Uh, It's Jack, student from Atlanta. Uh, It's been a couple of weeks since I last wrote in. I wanted to tell a recurring incident that has been happening in my workplace. Just a short reminder, I work in the health department at a community facility, which is about 95% white, including employees, guests, etc. I always hear Neely Fuller say that you suspect only those whites who are able to be racist. Anyhow, after my shift, I often go to the gym, which is on the top floor above where I work. There's this mildly mentally retarded white man who works at the front desk who checks you in as an employee. As employees, we aren't mandated to carry our car to enter facilities because most people recognize each other. I enter into the facility and on a number of occasions, this guy stops me and asks me for my card. Every time I reply, I work downstairs and he says, oh, okay, that's right. This has happened at least five times in the last year since I've been there and I use the gym regularly, maybe three times a week, and he'll randomly ask me for my card. I dismissed it because I thought maybe it was due to his condition. But then this one particular day, I enter into the gym and there's two other white employees with him at the desk. I entered and they both spoke and I said hello. And then the mildly retarded guy says, Hey, what's up, shawty? I gave him a stare as he stands there grinning. The next time something of this nature happened was once again in the gym. I always work out and with headphones in my ear for music, of course. The same guy walks up behind me and says, homeboy. Hey, homeboy. I heard him as clear as day, but I kept walking as if I didn't hear him because my music was too loud. 
I quoted Neely Fuller earlier because in my mind, I somehow disqualified this man of being racist because he was mentally challenged. I guess I had him. I had concluded that he was unable to practice racism. I have now concluded that even the disabled ones, handicapped, retarded, autistic, etc., should be suspected just as much as the healthier ones. As a matter of fact, just my observation with working with them in close proximity, they are some of the most uncodified racists. End of transmission. Very important, in my opinion. Uh, people always looking for outs uh, to find a white person who is not a racist, and all of those doors should be shut. We should be moving on from that in 2016, in my opinion. Uh, other folks have commentary, workplace racism. Uh, if we have not heard from you, you should certainly uh, go ahead and speak up. Workplace racism. Folks have comments? Um, Gus, can I be heard? <laughs> I say this all the time. If they're mentally ill, elderly, uh, retarded, it doesn't matter. They're all racist. I had the same experience. I don't believe that. I mean, that's one one specific spot where where I have to disagree with Neely Fuller. There are no white people that cannot be racist. And it's interesting to hear his experiences because it mirrors mine. I don't care if they're mentally ill. They're still racist. And like he, like he said, I think any form of mental illness makes the, makes them completely uncodified compared to other races. They just seem to blur stuff out just like a, you know, a five-year-old would just, you know, say something that sounds crass to someone else, but they're just actually questioning that that's how I find mentally ill white people practice racism. So I agree completely and I wish him the best as well. Cause that's not fun. Thank you. I'm sorry. May I be heard? I just had a quick comment about that last story. Yes, ma'am. Um, I also definitely agree with Ross, and also thank you, Ross, for the um, suggestion about the pineapple juice. It it actually has helped. So um, I actually worked in a health facility, and the craziest thing was that there was this um, somewhat. It was a middle aged uh, white woman, um, and she was also had some type of mental retardation, and she knew to call black people, and excuse my language, but niggers, niggers, and, like, if there was actually some um, homosexual black men who worked there, and she would call them bitch-ass niggers. So it was like she could even tell the difference between, I guess, a regular quote-unquote negra or negro and a feminine negro. So I, I definitely don't put it past them either. Thank you. I'll mute myself. Right on. Uh, other folks, uh, anybody that we have not heard from, uh, if you have commentary, uh, feel free. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings, Gus, uh, listeners, and the rest of the callers. Uh, man, I lost all codification this evening. Um, sociology class again um suspected racist is the professor um chapter six is race um so we talking about it and so throughout the discussion <laughs> i keep writing down codification because i'm feeling like i'm gonna lose it okay so as we go on through the discussion um I'm like one of the only ones that's participating. Okay. So um, I noticed the white people looking at me a little funny, uh, maybe about 
five of them in class. Uh, we had one black male in particular that's uh, sitting in the back with this uh, particular white girl um, that's in the class. Uh, and I say particular because I would say that she um, hangs out with a lot of black people um, from the way she dressed and uh, she kind of shapely. So um, she's just an interesting dynamic in the class because she be, you know, all over the black males. Um, like last week, and I'll start with this. Last week, <clears throat> she had on some uh, pretty revealing shorts. And, uh, you know, like all class, I feel her trying to get me to acknowledge her. All right. And uh, I won't even look at her at all. Um, so classes. Uh, it's like the middle of the class. We got the exam that day. I left my notes at home. So I asked her, could I borrow her, note, her, her notebook to uh, use her notes, you know, to study right quick. And then she like, uh, well, me and this uh, other black female about to go out in the hallway and study. You just want to come with us. I'm like, mm, all right. So we go in the hallway. Uh, she's sitting down. Um next to me i'm in the chair so um i notice a white male coming up the hallway and uh man he all over me you know man with his vibe so i meet his eye contact and then um you know i shake his hand like hey how you doing because he extended his hand to reach out to mine and uh i told him i said uh man i'm not dating her <laughs> you know um, just popped out and, uh, you know, the white female and the black female that's sitting down, they're about 18 years old. So they both like real rigid now. And then the white guy got a little uncomfortable too. And, um, you know, I'm just sitting there looking at him, you know? And so he started asking me about the class that I'm in and, you know, whatever, whatever. So fast forward to this week, <clears throat> class is about race. <clears throat> so the black male that's sitting in the back with the white female is talking about um people of indian descent occupying the convenience stores and the gas stations and you know things of that nature uh, so um i asked him a question i asked him i said have you seen any white people or how many white people have you seen um, occupying convenience stores and or gas stations in black neighborhoods. And uh, he, did, he didn't answer the question, and uh, nobody answered the question. Uh, this other white female speaks up, and uh, her face red, and uh, her tone is, like, really nasty. And she says, have you been to all the stores to um, – you know, check out, you know, the, the, the people that's in there. I said, man, I don't even like your tone right now. And then I turned around and she said, we don't like your tone. Now I find that very interesting. Um, thinking back on the conversation, man, because most of the major, uh, the majority of the class is black, man. So when you talking about we, who are you talking about? Um, now, it's an older white female that's sitting next to her, 
Now, before um, this happened, she talked about how she grew up with money and, you know, she didn't take her dad beliefs. So she didn't get the gold shoes, as the professor referred to it, um, talking about uh, basically he didn't pay for her to go to a good school because she didn't take on the racist beliefs, you know. And, uh, you know, I grew up in, you know, Cedarburg, and now I stay in River West. Now that's where I live, you know. So she's like, and, you know, um, I don't know um, how to describe River West. Now the class is quiet. You can hear, man, a mosquito peeing on cotton. And I just say diverse, you know, like real sarcastically. Yeah, yeah, that's it, you know. Um, so fast forward back to the younger white female. Um, we don't like, you know, we don't like your tone. All right, so, you know, now class over with. Um, man, I'm hot man because i didn't like the way that that white girl was talking to me you know so i'm standing there and i asked her i'm like uh you got a problem with me and why are you trying to pick a fight you know i said man i ain't nobody trying to pick a fight with you um you know i'm not speaking on you know um any opinions you know that i have i said man when i speak in class i'm speaking from a factual basis you know um man because everybody really started looking at me funny and this is the part, I, I, I left this part out, sorry. Everybody started looking at me funny when I told um, the white, the older white female, I'm like, man, what you're describing is that if um, other, if white people are not racist, they're going to be held accountable by other white people. You know, um, class real quiet, you know, and I'm turning around addressing the whole class because I sit right in the front. You know, um, so I can really address the professor. Um, so I'm turned around and I'm looking at the whole classroom, you know, and then somebody said, like, what? And I said, I said it again, um, you know, and um, the professor agreed, you know, and then the older white female agreed and said that, yeah, my family is like a club, you know, um, so. It was it was a very interesting dynamic in the classroom. Um, so fast forward and back to uh, when class is over, um, you know, I end up telling the white girl to stay in her line. Um, you know, well, referring to the conversation, um, you know, uh, you really a younger white female um, who really don't know what she was talking about and was offended, um, man, because um, truth was being spoken. And she didn't like it. Like, you know, who is this nigga um, in here, you know, uh, speaking his mind and telling us about ourselves? Um, so uh, I end up leaving. And uh, I find this interesting, too. Uh, when I leave, the professor called me back. And I think he called me Richard again, you know, but very uh, hypersexual uh, white male, like we have in the conversation about you know, something about uh, uh, any inferiority and superiority. So he got a salad on the, on, the, on the board, and somehow he throws in tossing salad, you know. And, you know. So I'm leaving, but he, when I'm leaving, I'm not sure if he called me Richard again, but in class, 
he called it, he said it to me once and I let it go because I wasn't, really wasn't sure if he was talking to me. But when I was turned around addressing the class, um, he called me Richard again. Now, I know he know my name because he called me my name all the time, you know, and I'm the uh, most outspoken person in the classroom and I got dreadlocks. So you don't forget a person like that. And I'm six feet tall, you know, so um, I think that was him calling me a dick, you know, um, for uh, being so frank uh, in the classroom. And uh, man, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Uh, Gus, thank you uh, for letting me share. I'm in my line. Thank you for sharing. Riled up the white folks in the in the good college class down in uh, Wisconsin. Terrible. Mm, mm, mm. Um, the uh, other folks who dialed in that we have not heard from. Uh, see, we had people that dialed in more recently. A lady in New York and other folks. Did y'all have comments you were going to add as well? Abby Hart. You're a little low. Is that better? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Hello, everyone on the line. Um, just wanted to make a comment about the – well, I had a few comments. One was about the um, tactical pen. Um, they do have instructions on proper usage on YouTube of how to use the tactical pen. Um, I think I might invest in that um, – uh, my next comment is, um, actually, I have a question. I think last week, it may have been on the Saturday program, someone, um, I don't know, it was on, it was on the uh, workplace racism. So uh, someone mentioned, and I'm not remembering who, um, a type of, like, disability insurance or something so that he can miss days if he had something medical going on. So I'd, I'd like to know the name of that um, because I wasn't able to um, catch it when I listened. Um, sure. I, it was me. It was FMLA. It's called um, uh, Family Medical Leave Act, F as in Frank, M as in Mary, excuse me, L as in Larry, A as in Apple. And essentially it's a federal regulation that companies have to offer that to people. And it comes in multiple forms. One is uh, short-term leave where like, let's say if you're having surgery and you'll have to be out of work for, let's say six months, they'll give you that six months and strictly that six months. And once the six months is over, you have to go back to work. Then they have like long-term leave if you're in a situation where you might be out of work for a year or longer. And then they have something called intermittent leave, which um, that's what I have um, because of a medical condition I have. It flares up um, semi-regularly. So essentially it just gives me that ability, ability to take time off as I need it. And you can break it up either into hours. So if you don't want to take a whole day off, you can take off, you know, maybe two hours out of the day or half a day, however, however you want to break it up. Or if you want to take off a full day, you can do that. And depending on the condition you have, um, like my doctor wrote it in that I can take up to three consecutive days in a row. So if I wanted to, I can just call out for like basically more than half the week if I felt like it. But it's not something that I don't abuse. It's something I just either use if there is an actual medical situation or in, in the most recent case, I was looking for a job and I had to go for um, two interviews and I just needed to take that time off. It wasn't time that I could schedule ahead as vacation. So, but it's called FMLA. And um, you should actually have that information. You should probably look into your company's um, 
their their manual, their their work their work manual where they have all the rules and regulations for how the company is run. They should have all that information um, indicated there in regards to FMLA under the section that's about um, leave. Like they usually have it somewhere after vacation and holiday time and stuff. They'll have. Um, that sort of information indicated there. Most jobs that I've worked at, that's where it's been located, but it might be different for your company. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, and I was going to tell you, the the author of the book um, that I was talking about is called Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life, and his name is, um, I believe it's Jason Hansen, and he's, he's, uh, it was his book that uh, taught me about the tactical pen. And he also has videos on YouTube as well as far as how to use it. And once you get the hang of it, trust me, it'll be a lifesaver, especially for women or, um, you know, for anybody, period. But I would just say especially for women simply because our women are the most victimized women on the planet. So I hope um, a lot of our sisters take advantage of that to protect themselves because it's something you can take anywhere. So it's not like you'll be stopped by the police for it. You can take it into a courtroom. It doesn't matter. It, it's just a regular pen, but it's also um, something you can use in an emergency to break out, break glass if you're trapped in a, in a car after an accident or in a building, let's say, and you need to break glass to escape, it's something you can use for that as well. But for self-defense, it's something that's awesome. And like I said, all these different agents, they carry it all the time, especially in scenarios where they cannot carry a gun, where a gun is not an appropriate weapon to have in that situation. Thank you. Now meet my line. Thank you. Um, I had a comment. Um, I've been interviewing heavily um, this week and last week. Um, Last week was interesting because I went for an interview and I I got the vibe that the nurse expected me to be a white woman and that she was um, I don't, I'm not shocked but disappointed that I was not. Um, I, my name is pretty bland. Many white women I've met, we have the same name. Um as soon as she saw me, she just was not interested in me. Um, she took me into her office. I had emailed back and forth um, over four times about my resume to this woman. I have it in, uh, like, Google Drive where I can share it. I sent it to her as a PDF. Um I sent it to her in different ways, and she just kept saying she could not open it. First, I thought it was me because another job um, sent the same message that they just couldn't open it. Um, and I emailed it to them again, and then they they were able to open it in a different format. Um, so... Our final email, she set up an interview anyway and just told me to bring it with me or I could fax it. And then she just sent it and said, okay, just bring it with you. I got there and sat in her office, tried to show her my credentials, you know, my license to be a nurse, my CPR is up to date, and here's this resume and cover letter. She refused to take it. At all, and I was like, "That is so weird. You can at least pretend." I felt like I was um on a mock interview, and I thought people were gonna come out with cameras because it was the weirdest interview I have ever went on. 
she talked and rambled for about <clears throat> 30 minutes, um, and we we played pretend interview. At the end, again, I tried to give her my resumes, and she said, oh, no, 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 you can close your agenda, which it's, I didn't even have an agenda. It's like a portfolio binder, but that's what she said. Um, of course, no talk about salary. Um, no talk about the actual days that she's looking for the nurse to work. I did get her to explain the um, shifts, which were 12-hour shifts, 312s. And she told me a little bit about the job, but a lot of it was about her and what she did. So it was clearly this white woman was not interested. Um, I am not the person she thought she was going to meet. I know it wasn't my style of dress. Um, I don't know if it was my hair. Um, a lot of white women either act like they really love my hair or they're really offended by my natural hair. Uh, I don't as much so get the vibe that it was my hair over that she really thought that she was going to be meeting with a white woman. Um, the other interviews I had, they actually asked me real questions and um, took my resumes, and those were black females who interviewed me. But this one uh, particular time with this white woman, it was it was just like an act or something. I don't know if she already had someone to fulfill a position. I don't know. But it was just strange that she uh, wouldn't even look to see if I was an actual nurse who could perform this job with a, with a license or a certificate. She didn't even want to see that. So, um, the female caller was making a statement about um, another woman commenting on her body. I never experienced that with, like, making me uncomfortable with black females. I have in the workplace with white women. Um, you know, they don't like if you are shapely. They don't like if you are heavy up top. I guess get kind of jealous. I'm not really sure. Um, when I had an issue like that, um, my son was a very small, like he was a baby. And um, so, you know, the weight started falling off. And um, I didn't really like to eat a lot at their parties. And this office job um, before I transitioned to nursing was always some party, always something with food. And um, how it stopped with me, it was uncodified and unintentional. Um, white women would always say something about my body or if I didn't want to eat uh, what was there. Like if I brought lunch in, I didn't know that they were going to have this event. And I had headphones on, and I, um, they thought I didn't hear them at this time talking about them. And a black gentleman made a comment because, like, almost in my defense, and I said a few cursed, and everyone burst out laughing because I, and that's Chelsea, I don't give an F, really give an F, but I thought I was talking under my breath, and it came out loud enough to where everyone can hear it. After that day, they made their comments, but it wasn't like when I was in the same room or it wasn't as blatant, but um, 
the white women get very jealous. So, but I've never, I've never had that issue with a lot of conflict with um, black females at the job. So, I don't know how um, that could kind of be handled. And uh, that was, that was my comments. I'll mute my line. I just heard that today I was listening to different audio clips. I was trying to make a selection for what I was going to use to start the program with today. And uh, I obviously went with the one uh, Melody uh, Hobson. Uh, but there was a different segment from some years ago where it was the exact same thing. And I mean, it's cliche, but it was a black female. And she was saying that she, uh, I guess she had done all the paperwork online. And so then she actually went in for the interview and she said it was just like immediate, like surprise, like, oh man, I thought this, it's a nigra. Like, man, we had, I thought it was going to be a white woman and, uh, oh, well, I guess you're here. I guess we'll go through the interview. Okay. So your name, like, <laughs> like they could just tell immediately, like, I'm not going to get this job and you know, the whole interview changed. Like it wasn't very serious. There was no real enthusiasm uh, for me as an employee. I think that's a very common thing uh, nowadays uh, for a lot, probably has been for a long time for a number of uh, non-white people. Um, the uh, person that dialed in 4130, you should be with us as well. 4130. The caller is. Uh, I was just checking the caller. Last four digits four one three zero. Did you have commentary? Okay, maybe they are muted. Uh, the caller. Have you heard? The caller at eight nine five zero eight nine five zero. Did you have commentary? Uh yeah. I just had uh, two things. One is update, and one is workplace racism from the past. Mm. I remember my first job. Um, I remember my, my first job when I was 15 years old. I was a bagger at a grocery store, and uh, this old white lady, she, uh, I just got done bagging the groceries, and she had forgot her purse at the register. So, you know, uh, after the next customer came up, I noticed it. So I, I went to go chase down this old white lady, and, like, when I brought it to her, she, um, she turned around and gave me this face, she, she gave me a facial expression as if she had smelled some foul odor and she had said, you didn't steal anything, did you? And I just remember that one from the past. And um, my update is my workplace racism uh, at my current job. I'll give a, a, a quick summary of, of, of it. I was really uncodified and really, uh, really emotional. Um, I uh, spoke about race with anyone who would talk and I got known as the Negro who would talk about race. And um, uh, my manager was practicing racism against me. She'll give me too much work and too little time. And when I tried to uh, galvanize other white and non-white coworkers to try to solve the problem, she made it seem like I was trying to start a mini revolt or something. And she totally um, um, purposefully reclassified what I was trying to do and to, to make it something that it wasn't. And, uh, so I have an update. Um, I, and I also remember, uh, I mentioned that my store manager, when I asked him about the investigation, he's a manager above my, my direct manager. He said, don't talk to me. Don't you, don't talk to me, uh, about that. You wait till I come to you. 
And um, when I went, I, I went and I questioned him about that just recently. He, he he denied saying it, and he kept saying the word perception. And I noticed he he kept saying the word perception before during my meeting with him and my direct manager. He the way he sort of defined it was I misinterpreted what he was saying and how he was saying it. And he said that I don't speak to my employees that way, and I don't know what you're talking about. So, I he's just practicing deception. And um, one thing that I failed to mention after my meeting with my direct manager and my store manager, uh, at the end I mentioned that uh, I was just really emotional, really uncodified, and I just started crying, you know. And I, I said it's really hard to be a black man. And pretty much after that, my uh, store manager has been sort of. Uh, approaching me trying to get me to talk about you know my issues with race and um he, he sort of had this whole thing well i'm a good white so i'll listen to your problems or i'll uh i'll somehow i just got the vibe that he was saying well i'm a good white and i want you to know that or something like that that's just the vibe that i kept getting from him and i, I, I would just be really vague about my, uh really vague about my issues because uh, just from studying racism and white supremacy, uh, and not having the emotional the emotional capacity to deal with all the information that I was uh, uh, reading about, because I really became aware of race ever since I was, I think maybe eleven or twelve, when I saw the movie Rosewood, and I was a young kid. At that moment, I knew I was black, and I knew we had a problem. And I, I've been sort of uh, prone to being uh, having a lot of hubris and being African, and just not knowing how to deal with racism, white supremacy, and a variety of situations until I learned about the code and Neil Jr. and this show and everything. But anyways, uh, so um, I've been on really thin ice with my job, you know, while this investigation um, has been taking place because I've been treating my job uh, really poorly, you know, just showing up late, um, coming late and taking too long on my breaks and lunches. I, I, I really treated the job like I was feeling. And I, I was really depressed, so it, it was kind of like me being just uncodified and, and sloppy, and and, and 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 me being depressed because I, I had a lot of uh, a, a lot of very evil, negative thoughts where I was actually considering about taking my taking my own life from all the information that I was uh, receiving. And so, talking with my family, talking with my friends, uh, helped and not helped because we're all confused. So I got. Um, both misguided and very helpful information from non-white black people. And, you know, I, I've been coping with it better. But um, so I, I was late to work yesterday again. And uh, this is my last one, last straw, where like it, it was time for me to be terminated. So uh, when I, I, this morning, I went to uh, go speak to my uh, store manager and another manager about seeing if I'll be able to keep my job. And um, so they asked me what the problem was, and I I pretty much said, you know, I, I'm still depressed because I I legitimately am still depressed about racism, white supremacy, and my understanding of it. And um, so I I pretty much was open up and I was pretty much open and frank with them. I told them that I believe that we're in a system of racism, white supremacy, and I believe that the, the meaning of being white is to be a racist, white supremacist, and that I've been neglecting trying to get help from you guys because if I were to say that, I would lose my job because. Uh, this job, I, I didn't know. They have resources to get people help with anything, whether it's alcohol, drug, drug addiction, or, or whatever. They'll, they'll help you get help. Uh, recently, uh, a white male that I, that I sometimes speak to about race, he's an alcoholic. He he was off for a month or two 
because they, they helped him a rehab and they paid for it and they, you know, so they helped him out. So, so pretty much, um, I need help. Uh, uh, how can I, uh, stop talking about race with them if they bring it up to me. Like, I won't engage with it anymore. Like, I won't bring it up, but they'll still come to me to talk about it. And I've said some pretty frank, honest things to them. But just all throughout the meeting, they were giving me this, well, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Here at this company, we just say, if you just work hard, it doesn't matter. If you're black or white, you can succeed in our company. And they just kept, they kept trying to give me words to signify that there are good whites and that this information that I was looking at telling me that we're in a system of racism and white supremacy must be false or I must be perceiving things wrong. I must have perception problems. And I just wanted to get out of it as soon as possible. So they gave me a number for a therapist and I spoke to a therapist while I was at work for about 45 minutes, explained, explained my issues. And I guess they offered to give me six free uh, therapy sessions talk about my depression issues. Uh, so pretty, pretty much, uh, that, that's my update. And I, any, any specific advice or things that I can say in a codified manner, um, I don't want to talk about race anymore with you. I don't think it's productive. And, uh, I'm even online. Wow. Black mental health. Um, just Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. I'm sure she would, uh, concur black mental health. Uh, because of the system of white supremacy, black people, none of us, qualifies for mental health. Um, I just, I'm, I'm grateful for you uh, being willing to share uh, what you're going through. And uh, I would encourage you to reach out uh, for assistance because uh, it, racism, white supremacy, it does a job on us. Uh, that's one of the things that I mentioned. Matter of fact, uh, Khalif Browder, the black male, he was incarcerated over allegedly stealing a backpack for three years as a black teen, incarcerated for three years. Uh, he was released without ever being tried, convicted of anything, uh, and he took his own life. His mother died this week. Uh, they said uh, just, you know, from the trauma of losing uh, her child in such a manner. But uh, black mental health is really important. I brought this up with Sandra Bland, uh, Kimberly Randall King, uh, who took her own life in greater, uh, she was in prison uh, back in 2014. This is like days after Michael Brown Jr. was shot and killed. But black mental health, really, really important, uh, just to keep that in mind, the damage that uh, terrorism, white terrorism, the damage that it does to us psychologically, uh, and reach out for assistance. Uh, reach out for assistance. I know Dr. Welsing would say that uh, if you, you know, are, are really uh, kind of feeling at your wit's end, as they say. Uh, in terms of the job situation, uh, if they're saying, if they're like saying, what can we do to help? Uh, I think Mr. Fuller is always about being practical, like have specific things that you need, <laughs> like, uh, you know, a two week paid vacation or a month paid vacation, you know, see what you can uh, bargain for uh, to get paid time off. And I want to be able to keep my job uh, things that you need, you know, if the therapy session, if it's working fine. Uh, but I mean, I would think of uh, realistic things that you a raise. 
you know, uh, more hours or less hours or whatever your you know situation is. I would try to think of realistic things that would be helpful to you. Um, if you don't want to talk about racism, uh, I would just say that, you know, I, I would prefer to uh, not engage uh, in this subject matter anymore. Uh, I've kind of said my feelings. You've shared your feelings. And I just, you know, want to go about the, the business of, of just trying to be the best employee that I can be and, you know, solving problems for myself and, and being a great employee. Let's just move forward. I would just, you know, as bluntly as that, it, it might not even be necessary to say that much. Uh, but I would just move forward and say, and I think, you know, everybody's shared their thoughts on this subject matter. And, you know, we can just move forward with work-related subject matter. Um, if they want to share their thoughts, that's fine. If you have any questions, that's great. But I just, I just wouldn't bring it up anymore. And if they do, I would just say that every time you're not interested in discussing that any further. Um, did other folks have uh, input, thoughts? Um, yes, I do. Um, to the black male who was just speaking, I want to just wish you the best. I know that you're prob probably going through quite a bit from what you're describing to feel like you're getting to that point. Um, I know for me, the first time I felt like committing suicide, I was about 12. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And one of my closest friends actually um, committed suicide after being terrorized on the job. He used to work for Apple com um, computers and, um, he was a brilliant, uh, brilliant guy. He used to write programming, do programming for them. And ultimately, um, he started to tell me that while he was on the job, um, he would go to meetings and white males would play footsies under the table with him um, and make uh, homosexual advances towards him. Um, he also, he's a computer programmer, so he would write all kinds of different scripts that they would use to create um, different programs for the company. And he said that they would also write subliminal messages to him within the programming. So it'll be like either homosexual messages or messages um, indicating to him that they're going to mess with his paycheck, real wacky stuff like that. So eventually he started to get severely depressed. And um, I talked to him and I talked to him about, you know, trying to see someone. So sadly, he decided to go see a company therapist. And of course, a company therapist is going to protect the company. So um, over time, he felt that that was nonproductive. It was a white person that he was seeing. Um, also, he said that they prescribed him some sort of really strong narcotic drug that he did not like because he said it made him basically, he just, to put it in his own words, it made him feel like a zombie. He felt like he couldn't think straight. He couldn't function normally. Um, so he self-medicated with marijuana um, to not have to use whatever narcotic they were giving him. Um, and he didn't use it often, but he did use it. And then eventually um, he had, he just started calling me and he would just call me and we would have these long conversations. He would talk to my wife when I wasn't at work and they, she would tell me about the discussions they had. And he would basically just call to just get it, get it off his chest. Tell us what they were doing to him. Um, at one point in the beginning, he didn't think we believed them. I said, listen, there's nothing you can tell me that I won't believe um, simply because I know how white people function. And um, eventually we were having a conversation um, and I didn't realize that the day that I talked to him was the day that he passed away. Um, I didn't find out until maybe about seven days later that he had uh, passed away and that he committed suicide by, um, by uh, jumping off of a 19th floor of a building. And um, it was just a really horrific thing for me as a close friend of his um, and it's something that you, that we really have to take seriously. 
Um, it's, it's one of the most important things we can do as a people is to, you know, is black mental health. Again, that also goes back to what I talked about earlier with black people, um, you know, terrorizing other black people and giving white people the feeling that it's okay because other black people don't really care about the black person I'm abusing because they're also facilitating the abuse. All of these things can lead to things like this. And we really have to think about the things we do and say to one another simply because uh, one of the uh, black females was saying we're, we're really, you know, a downtrodden abused and, and just people in severe pain and severe psychological discomfort on a 24 seven basis. And we have to keep that in mind. That's something that I try to do. Every time, anytime I encounter black people, and if I see that black, a black person gives me a response that's either aggressive or just, you know, they're just standoffish, I just, you know, I chalk it up. Hey, I understand. I know what it's like to be victimized, and you just don't want to be bothered. I get it. So I try to be as understanding as possible. Um, coming from a past where I ran the streets, so I've created a lot of problems for black people um, back then when I was younger and, and much less codified and much less informed. Um, as much as I caused problems for white people, I caused quite a bit for my own. So I understand I come from that background, but I've worked quite a bit on that. And that's something I will work on for the rest of my natural life. Thank you. And I'll meet my line. Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people on the line probably, uh, are well aware of the, uh, two separate incidents, I believe of, uh, black female physicians who were uh who were in uh actually were uh chastised in the most condescending way uh not to believe as being physicians by i think the same airline i could be wrong but but uh that happened it happened at least twice uh within a week uh that was uh brought out that i saw also back to the uh uh the uh experience of white females being envious and or jealous of non white black females uh I especially have observed that uh on the uh job that I was on uh you know the fire department especially out in the field is unique because everybody wears the same uniform. And you're talking about uh, trousers as well as a you know shirt, <laughs> excuse me, and an undershirt. And then you know when you go on a on a fire call, everybody has to you know quickly change clothes and whatnot. So everybody gets to see everybody. And uh, I can almost tell by the uh, by the looks of the white females. A lot of these white females who they hire, uh, they would be older and with the, uh, nature of, uh, the, uh, different shapes that white females primarily on a, on a, on a basic way have with, you know, with a flat bottom and, you know, uh, that sort of thing. And the, uh, a lot of them look haggard. A lot of them look haggard and they were old, like I said, older, whereas, <clears throat> due to racist white supremacy, uh, white people actually contribute in a certain way because the they, they non-white black females that get hired, uh, a lot of them are uh, either former athletes or very athletic looking. At the same time, uh, uh, have you know 
been beyond high school as far as uh, school is concerned. And uh, you could almost see the envy in that type of environment. Uh, and uh, so that, that was very noticeable, always noticeable to, for, for, uh, to me. Uh, and there were much, much more uh, white females who, I mean, I, I want to go beyond lesbians. I, it, it was a couple of them that looked that you couldn't tell that, that they were females. They looked like males. And uh, so that's, that's just some, some added feedback on what I heard earlier in the program. Uh, I've, I've certainly saw it a lot on, on, on the job that I was on. Thank you. Anybody May else? I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, I, I just actually wanted to comment on uh, what the gentleman was saying about feeling very depressed, and I've actually felt that exact same way, especially with my job. Um, I I also have been, you know, dealing with depression and anxiety all of a, as far as long as I can remember, at least since I was like a young child, but. I definitely just wanted to um, say that it, what helped me was to find a good non-white black counselor or a psychiatrist or psychologist. It would probably be better to steer away from the people if you don't necessarily want to have a bunch of pills shoved down your throat because I've had to be on different types of medications and just like um, I'm assuming Ross has said about his friend, you know, it does put you in that zombie state, and it's like it's definitely not the type of quality of life that most people would want to live if you do have a functioning brain and you want to use it. But I would definitely make sure that you, I would definitely suggest getting with um, a, a black counselor. I've actually been to a number of different, all types of different specialists, whatever they want to call themselves, therapists, what have you. And I was actually, I actually went to one counselor. It was, she was somewhat of a uh, younger white woman and just discussing my problems. And one day, uh, one time when we were at, during the session, she had said, well, you know, well, she was, I guess she called herself trying to give me accolades and saying, well, you speak so well. And so that didn't help my depression at all. It also, it, it just basically made me feel as if, made me feel smaller than what I was. So um, I, I did end up finding a nice black gentleman. He definitely helped me out a lot. And I, I don't take medication, but if medication is definitely something that you want to take, I I definitely would suggest, you know, maybe steering towards a psychiatrist who can actually prescribe you medication also provides you that counseling as well because I, I've also dealt with my own suicidal thoughts and so I, I definitely understand how important that is. Thank you and I'll, I'll mute my line. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Um, Gus, I wanted to also chime in with just um, some things that natural things that that, that can possibly help with that. Um, uh, St. John's wort has been helpful for people with depression and also um, aromatherapy using essential oils like uh, bergamot, lavender, chamomile, and uh, liang liang. Uh, those are the top four oils you can use for depression. Um, and if you get like a cold water diffuser, you can actually run it and it'll um, basically put the droplets in the air and fill up a room that you're in or you can actually inhale it directly as the um, vapors are coming out of the diffuser, and it can also help maybe um, with, with those sorts of situations as well. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
Appreciate that. Uh, can I share something real quick? Yes, sir. I just wanted to tell the the gentleman that was talking concerning depression. I would say that he counseling is the best um, best solution, and maybe sometimes cost can be an issue, but. Uh, there are a lot of counselors that can work with you, especially some of the, the black counselors. If you talk with them and let them know your situation, they can really, really help you out, even without uh, insurance or whatever. Counseling is the best uh, solution. And if um, when I first started listening to the show, I I was I was in my own situation, but I also became. Uh, extremely depressed, and I reached out to some of the people that I um, heard on the show. And um, for example, Nianri Rasayan, I was in Washington D.C. at the time, and I reached out to him, and he and I actually met him. So, and we actually had a really nice talk. He he talked with me for like about an hour, and um, that was, I mean. It really, really gave me a lot of spirit, and it gave me a lot of, um, I don't like a lot of strength. I want to say. Um, so there are people on the, that come on the show. Reach out to them. You can. Uh, I would suggest that you write Gus an email, see if you can who you can see. But a lot of the people that come on the show are really are like people that actually want to help. Um, and then just one last, I don't know, suggestion. The, the black female in the basement work. I would suggest that you also get a teaser. They have all types now, like uh, that are they can be pink. It can be like it can look like a flashlight. It can look like a it can look like all kinds of things. And because sometimes you know, if, with a knife, you may have to use force. But with a taser, you, the person can be right next to you. You don't even have to use force, and you can you know shock them to oblivion. Appreciate that, definitely. Um, shout out to Dr. Niana Rasayan. Uh, the caller at 4130, did you have a commentary you want to share? 4130. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Yes, um, I wanted to share um, some advice for the previous male caller. Um, I actually use passion flower oil. Um, I make a tea out of it using green tea. Um, and I put about two drops of that. You can find it on Amazon.com or possibly Whole Foods. Um, it helps greatly with my anxiety. Um, and I also wanted to share a few incidents that has occurred at my place of work. Um, I've been there for a little over a year now. The Events are very recent as we have a high turnover rate. Um, the most recent event occurred with my new manager. Um, I put in a request to transfer to the department so I could have the opportunity to work from home. Um, and in the department I currently work in, um, I am one of two people with the same title. Um, Although we have the same title, we do we do have separate duties um, that she doesn't technically know 
everything that I do. So I'm very valuable to my team. Um, I work in a healthcare situation. I tend to work with individuals that are close to the end of their life, um, helping them arrange certain things that need to be taken care of. And um, when I put in this transfer, or before I put in this transfer, they would always make certain jokes like, you better not run away from us, but almost in a derogatory tone, as if I was a dog. And um, when I put in the transfer, I did not alert my immediate manager or supervisor. Um, they actually heard from the supervisor of the department I was going to transfer to. And um, the statement was made that we won't let you steal, we won't let her steal you from us. Um, so about two weeks after that comment was made, uh, my manager pulled me aside to let me know that I was ineligible to transfer due to corrective action that was placed with um, the previous manager that was no longer there. Um, fortunately for me, that corrective action was a six-month, um, I guess, suspension, you could say, that was placed on me, but the suspension was picked up on November 1st. I'm fairly certain that my new manager was aware of this, and about a week after giving me the news that I was ineligible for the transfer, she, um, I believe this was around the same time as the Philando Castillo and Alton Sterling shootings. I was very depressed. Um, I actually had severe anxiety or had severe anxiety around that time. Uh, I went to my manager and requested to have half the day off so I could go to the doctor um, and just overall focus on my mental health. She actually gave me a hug. Um, this is a white woman. Uh, she gave me a hug and said, sure, of course. Uh, fast forward, about a week after that, she wrote me up for going home. After she gave me permission to do so, um, so that kind of reinstated the corrective action and started it all over. So now I'll be on corrective action for another six months, uh, hindering a transfer within those six months. Um, another situation that happened with. Can I just can I just pause really quick? I, I want to yes. hear your other situation, but I just the deceitfulness. What I'm submitting. Uh, and again, sometimes if you listen to the programs in the order that they came out, when we had Allison Manswell on the program, who had a lot of great information, and I dig, she hung out for the full like two and a half hours, AllisonManswell.com. But where the questions uh, about whether whites are unconscious, right? Like people who classify themselves as white, whether they do these things knowingly or are they unaware or not conscious. What I'm saying is that it is as. It is beyond the limits of what we conventionally conceive of as treacherous behavior. What I'm submitting is that this race soldier, this white woman, to give you a hug. Oh, I feel so bad for you. You've got to go to the doctor. I hope you're doing well. Like can turn immediately from holding you literally in her clutches and begin writing you up up. Got her. Nigga went home, boop, 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 put that in the same day while they're looking at you as though they care about you. 
I'm submitting that that is not unconscious, that they delight, they love, they absolutely live for terrorizing and traumatizing black people. That makes their day. That's their inspiration for getting up in the morning. Some of them do it with a smile. Some of them are more covert. Some of them brag. Some of them will call you a nigger. But at the end of the day, that is right there, what you just said. That is the essence of what it means to be white. That's what I'm submitting. Uh, let's hear your next incident. Um, I would absolutely agree. Um, I do have a brief um, incident or series or relationship, I'll say, um, that I would like to contribute, although it's not related to workplace racism. Um, I'm actually the um, female that wrote the email to you um, and asked if I commentary would be relevant because I'm mixed. Um, my mother is white. She works at this office. Um, and there recently, <laughs> thank you, recently um, I've come to terms that my mother um, tried to instill racism in me as a child um, and my siblings. And as an adult, as I became to become more conscious of white supremacy and racism, uh, that's when my relationship with her really completely fell apart. Um, but just to add a little tidbit or an example into that, um, she would refer to me and my siblings as nigglets and nigras. So I'll continue on with my workplace racism uh, incident. This occurred with another white female. She's a nurse. Um, I'm not a nurse. Uh, she claims to have been raised in the same area of the city. I'm from Houston. She claims to have been raised in the same area. I uh, come from an area or live in the projects that were referred to as jailhouse. Um, so um, in the beginning of her transition to our department, I actually trained her briefly for a few days. And so I guess she believed that she could connect with me by coming from the same area. Um, so she then randomly, she likes to what I refer to as Columbus. She likes the Columbus conversations that I have with other coworkers. And the, the telltale phrase of when she's going to Columbus a com conversation, she begins with, and you know, so um, this instance, she says, and you know, I have this neighbor that lives in my trailer park. He's one of those people that they're so dark you can't see them at night. Um, after she said that, I walked away. There was recently, last week, there was um, another instance where she came to my cubicle and she said, so, you know, my husband's on Facebook and, you know, I'm not on Facebook because my husband's a voyeur, and you're either a voyeur or a narcissist. Um, I wasn't very sure what voyeur meant, so I did have to Google this. Apparently, um, it's a sexual term for someone who likes to spy on others and gets sexual arousal. Um, but those were my incidents. That's all I had to contribute. Thank you. She said you're either a voyeur or a what? A voyeur or a narcissist. Oh, okay. I got it. Got it. Got it. That is interesting. Hmm. For Just for our listeners visually, uh, are you able to 
Like, could you, if you wanted, could you be accepted as a white person if you wanted to? Uh, this is, I'm very uh, light-skinned. People refer to me as high yellow. Um, I'm not sure that I would be able to fully assimilate. Um, when I was younger, I was put out of my home by my mother. I lived in a small Texas town population less than 200, um, all of which of these people were Caucasian, um, despite the fact that I was a confused young child and tried to fully assimilate into their culture, um, I'm still a nigger at the end of the day. Just for people that, you know, folks have seen, so are you lighter than, say, like Alicia Keys? Are you lighter than her? I've been compared to Alicia Keys. Um, I guess I would be like a generic version of Alicia Keys as far as appearance goes, yes. Okay. Interesting. Um, we have done our three hours, back to back days of workplace racism. Man. Uh, we'll be here next week. Uh, feel free if you drop an email. I think I read all the emails that I got this week, so right on uh, until justice at gmail dot com. If you have a workplace racism uh, situation that you would like to share, uh, it's every Thursday, eight p.m. Eastern, five p.m. Pacific. Uh, hope it is a constructive investment of your time and energy. Uh, Eleven consecutive days uh, still rolling. Uh, hopefully, folks, uh, we have not been wasting uh, your October. You could be doing other things. Um, we'll be here tomorrow, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific. The conclusion of Sam Greenlee, the spook who sat by the door. I think next week we're starting uh, Lothrop Stoddard, uh, the rising tide of color against white world supremacy. I think that's going to be next Friday. Uh, but moving forward this week, Saturday, compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And then Sunday, Charles Woods, black male. Uh, he talks a lot about the history of racism in entertainment, television, film. Uh, he'll be here on Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. So stay tuned. Hopefully more constructive info on the way. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I, I again submit sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. Uh, we want to be able to make phenomenal decisions. Uh, you never know uh, when you will be required to make uh, really a life-saving decision uh, under this system. You never know when today you might have to bump into Daniel Holtzclaw, Darren Wilson, race soldier, badge or no, uh, and your best thinking will be required. Uh, I don't think uh, that us being under the influence is going to help us in those moments. Uh, I could be in error, but I don't think that's the case for most of us. Uh, when I say sobriety would be best, that means cigarettes, alcohol, whatever else they come up with. Sobriety would be best. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, no brother. Problem. You're a victim. Yeah.
Shut I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. A man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.